This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Happy days, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. You made it through a, an extended weekend. And now, hey, look, it's already Tuesday. You're moving right along. You haven't lost anything. In fact, you've gained You've gained just a shorter weekend or a shorter week. And by the way, uh, so much to talk about this hour. Jeff, we didn't even get an update on Jeff's trip to Bryce Canyon with his <laughs> cute family. You took your little daughters and son. I guess you let you didn't leave him home, did you? you oh, no. You took the boy with you. Oh, yeah. And you went uh, to one of the great national parks, Bryce Canyon, and and I'm sure just hiked it up, hiked it down, sweat. Left and right, lots of camping. Well, you know, you should know that the uh, our trip kind of coincided with my efforts to lose weight, right? Yeah. So as we're getting there, we spend the whole night Friday getting there, staying in a hotel. And my wife's assuring me, you can eat what you want this weekend because you're just going to, you know, work it all off when we go hiking tomorrow. Oh, no. So the girls have such a great time at the hotel that we decide, oh, we'll just we'll stay they can swim some more. They can watch TV. Yeah. We'll just check out yeah. when it's time to check out. So we do that. By the time we get to Bryce Canyon National Park, we go check out the visitor center and we eat lunch. So it's an hour and a half before we actually get on a trail. Before we even get to the trail, my daughters are insisting that they're so tired <laughs> they cannot lift another foot. They can't do it. They can't do it. And my wife is holding my three-month-old who's having difficulty breathing. I don't know if it's the elevation or what. So we get about a quarter of a mile down one trail, and they're done. Oh, And we turn right back around. Oh, boy. And I'm carrying them uh, in turn because they can't walk anymore. Yeah, so you lost. And uh, you're sweating. So I didn't really lose all the weight that I probably gained by eating the things that I wanted to. Oh, boy. Did you throw down the gauntlet with like, okay, this is the last time we're coming to the park? No. You didn't do that? No. Darn it. So I think we just decided. You a great opportunity. Next time, let's just go somewhere different, stay in a hotel, and then we can go home. Wow. Well, I'm sorry. That sounds... Um... And we also decided the next time we go to a national park, our kids have to be much older or we're just going to go by ourselves. Yeah. Think of the hiking you two could have done. You know? We could have done the Rainbow Trail or the Widow's Peak or whatever they're, it's called. Boy, and you're, the sad thing is you're not um, allowed anymore to just leave your kids in the car. Like back in the day, you could. Just roll the window down yeah. and you're yeah. fine. <laughs> when, I, when I grew up, you could leave your kids in the car. You never had to buckle them into the car. You just walk away. Back then, as mom and dad, you just keep walking and the kids had to follow you. Right? But now, I must say. It's different. Bryce Canyon National Park. Yeah. Some great views of the hoodoos. Pardon? Hoodoos. Who do, who do what? That, that's what they're called, hoodoos. Are those the little, like, goblin things? Uh, they're more like orangey red pillars. Yeah, hoodoos. Yeah. I do. You do? Is that the park where the guy... No, no, no. That guy that, again, we just talked about moral outrage. People got morally outraged when this this happened, but that was out in 
Eastern Utah. Oh yeah, that's the and um, the Goblin Valley Goblin where Valley. he knocked over some uh, some, some upright structures some, of some rock. Scout leader knocked over a a rock formation. It was that's... unsafe. Yeah, he was making it safe by pushing over thousands of year old Unbelievable. rock formations. Well, I'm sorry that didn't go well for you and the family, but uh, we had a great time. That's great. It sounds like really what you need to do is just take the kids to ho- to a hotel more often, mm-hmm. or a motel. They'd be pleased as punch to just do that. Mm. If there's no exercise involved and it's just TV and swimming, yeah, they'll love it. Well, just so you know, too, there's four other national parks I think you could go to. Okay. So so we'll burn through another <laughs> vacation day to do that. My wife and I have contemplated. We, we, we go to this shopping center. Yeah. There's several stores. We go to you know a couple of them. In that shopping center, it's in the middle of all these neighborhoods. There's there's a whole there's a, there's a hotel. Like, why do you drop? I'm mean, usually you put a hotel ah. near a business area, near a conference right. center, right, near right, an airport. Right. It's in the middle of all these neighborhoods. My there's, wife and I, I, for the longest time, we're like, why is that there? Now but then understand. we took our kids somewhere once, and we're like, wow, that looks like a great option. It's like ten miles from my house. Stay the night. Kids will have an awesome time. We don't have to go anywhere. No. We're right there. And just here's our little. And you just drive around because they're not looking. Weekend. They're not watching where they're going. Right. So you just drive around in circles for an hour. You can go get dinner. That's different than every other day of the week. Boy, oh just boy. Make, kids ruin a what? lot of things. Ho, 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 ho. No, they do. No, no, no. Kids are doing exactly what kids are supposed to do. I know. But when it comes to, hey, let's go to the national park or, hey, let's do anything. Yeah. You know. That might be a little bit difficult, like, I don't know, staying a deck yesterday. Kids complain. <laughs> you know what, I'm though? I'm so tired. If we're honest with ourselves, how many of our parents' vacations did we ruin? I ruined every one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mainly because it involved an 18-hour road trip to San Diego. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm supposed to be happy as we drive through Las Vegas and that desert Middle of the summer. Wow, you guys went on vacations. That's cool for you. We would just go from Southern California to Utah. Yeah, that's not fun. But my dad would take out a row of seats and ah. he would pad all of the yeah. luggage with blankets and what pillows. So we would dad. just lie down and sleep the whole time. What a good dad. Yeah. You can't I, do that anymore either. I, I used to just I used to lay down in the back window. Just right under the glass. Would you wave at on people the behind show. you? Yeah. Be that kid? Well, I used, I did, I was waving until I w- became so dehydrated and sunburned that I couldn't move my arms. Mm. Then Can I, I get some water back here? <laughs> Little water. You always want water. Then we'll have to go to the bathroom. No water for you. And then once I went, once I was unconscious, then my mom knew it was time to pull over, hydrate me. Oh, going to the bathroom on road trips, that's a whole other topic there. I think that's actually Thursday's topic. We can't really talk about it right now. We'll get on, we'll get on that topic next Thursday, folks. You're not going to want to miss that. Today we're going to be talking about textbooks in the digital world. Uh, remember the day when the, our kids would tip over because they had so many textbooks. Now you can use more digital devices. And is it is it happening? I mean, realistically, do your kids need an iPad now in order to get all the textbooks they would need in high school? They need some Maybe. device. Should I be concerned if my kid's teacher doesn't seem to be digitally inclined? That's the problem is many aren't. And like yet- last year his teacher was like, here's an app. Everyone sign up and then we'll, we, we, you can contact her almost immediately on yeah. that app. Like you, you t- you'd send a message and we'll come right back of an answer and she's really responsive. Mm-hmm. This year it's like, well, there's an email. 
And you fire off the email and a couple of days later we got a response. You're like, uh, what's going on? Why can't you just respond to an email? What's going on? You know, so do I want my teacher that responsive? Should yeah. it, it, Is the digital things in classroom, the, the computers, the tablets, are they a distraction or do they help? No. Well, think about like if all of a sudden you can watch – a display from the Smithsonian Institute that's full digital graphics. It's all of these incredible things, and it has ex- everything to do with what you're studying. How amazing would that be? So can these university uh, – the, these companies that put out these textbooks for university students, can they simply just make like one little tweak to a video or a digital copy yeah. of a textbook and then charge you another $100? Probably. It's the American way. That's, uh, how, that's how they do it. It's a new edition. And they don't even need to print the book. But what if all of a sudden, too, they could lower the cost? So instead of your textbooks being you know, $1,000 at a university, what if all of a sudden it's $200 but it's all on an app? How cool would that be? Were you ever defiant and just said, no, I'm not going to buy the new textbook because there's one word that's different from the other textbook. And then you stuck it to them and you just kept the old one. Yeah. And then I I think I failed that class (laughs) (laughs) because I didn't prepare for the right test. We'll get to all of that fun about textbooks in the digital world, the changing environment for all of our children and and really what might be expected to what we you know, what tools we need to move forward and to help our kids move forward in school. We'll get to that, plus, of course, uh, headlines, empty news. We've got uh, some crazy headlines that, um, you know, a New Mexico man allegedly tried to carjack three football players. Allegedly. Uh, mistake of your lifetime. Yeah, he got pummeled. Somebody's going to pay for that one. We'll talk about that, plus some other empty news. But first, to the real headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Congress gets back to work today. That was a warning. The end of the month brings several Thank critical can't-miss deadlines. First Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin has urged lawmakers to raise the debt ceiling by September 29th to prevent the government from running out of money to pay its bills. Then, when the new fiscal year begins October 1st, be like the next day, Congress must also have passed a measure to fund most of operations of the federal government to avoid a shutdown. It's likely that the House and the Senate will pass a short-term continuing resolution to buy themselves some more time to negotiate a longer deal. They will kick the can down the road. You know what? It seems done. like that they're doing a lot of the can kicking. Yeah, at some point you just can't do that. They also have a uh, have to pass Hurricane Harvey funding. President Trump wants to tie raising the debt ceiling to Hurricane Harvey funding, which should tick off the House Freedom Caucus. So there's <laughs> that to look forward to. There's also more to accomplish with the funding of health care because that doesn't mm. seem to want to go away. And to top it off, the president would like to get the tax reform. Okay. So all of these things straight ahead are going to be happening. Yeah. Along with that is the fight over the Dreamers with the DACA yeah, legislation. That's New York on. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and Attorney General of New York Eric Schneiderman, Mayor Bill de Blasio, Mayor of New York, and Washington Attorney General uh, Bob Ferguson have all vowed to sue President Trump if he ends the Obama-era program that protects immigrants from deportation if they were brought to the U.S. as children. Following reports that Trump has already made up his mind to scrap the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, Cuomo declared Monday that New York will not demonize diversity. We will not stand by as 42,000 New Yorkers are deported. Well, is his number. And none of them chose to be here. No. 
These were kids brought over by their parents. And if they do something wrong in a legal fashion, they yeah. end up deported anyways. Well, and they're so great. these are people that haven't done anything wrong. Right. And they're, uh, I mean, think of them. They're paying taxes, they're viable citizens, and their parents brought them here. Says if President Trump rescinds the uh, DACA, we will sue, he wrote. Ferguson uh, from Washington is also joining the fight, vowing that if President Trump vows to follow through on his reported decision to cancel DACA after a six-month delay... Uh, they will file suit to haul the uh, cruel and illegal policy, he says, and they will defend the DACA recipients. There's an announcement set to be uh, today from uh, Attorney General Sessions at what is it, 11 a.m. Eastern hmm. to discuss this very thing. So we'll see what happens. Oh, boy. Florida declared states of emergency Monday after Hurricane Irma was upgraded to a Category 4. Actually, it's now a Category 5 storm. Uh, Florida Governor Rick Scott issued the order uh, after recent forecast showed the storm reaching parts of South Florida. Puerto Rico Governor Ricardo Rosallo also declared a state of emergency Monday after Hurricane Irma was initially upgraded. The storm is forecast to hit the island of Puerto Rico Wednesday with winds reaching over 140 miles an hour. Irma could be the second major storm to hit the U.S. this year. Ah, and we're not going to be able to fund two hurricane, or are we? I mean, what if you had another hurricane at they think it might be 180 billion? Could be for the Houston for the Houston cleanup. Wow! And then and you have another one hit South Florida. If that happens, <sighs> they're going to want you know. <laughs> and we're just getting started, right? This is just right. we're just to the eyes. Wait till you get to the W's. And finally, uh, box office rankings for Labor Day weekend remain almost unchanged from last weekend as Hollywood continues its losing streak in North American theaters. With no highly anticipated new releases debuting this weekend, the overall box office revenue for all films combined to $95 million, the lowest in nearly two decades. 20 years. That's harsh. The number one movie was the Sam Jackson, Ryan Ryan Reynolds action comedy, The Hitman's Bodyguard. It made $12 million. Oh, it wasn't wasn't a Snakes movie? No. $12 million. $12 million was the top grossing You know, I'm going to predict that that's going to change this weekend. Really? Mm-hmm. You're going out on a limb? Mm-hmm. Is this something – is this some special news from screen cleaning? There's a little film coming out with a two-letter title. Hmm. It. It. Or is it IT? No, it's it. Ooh, those guys from those IT. IT Ooh, movies. They are scary. Engaging. <laughs> is it really called It? Yes. It's a Stephen King novel. I saw the TV miniseries when I was a kid, parts of it, because oh, yeah. I was trying to do it while my mom walked in and out of the room, so you switch the channel real quick. What are you doing, son? Because uh, I'm not supposed to watch it. You don't think your mom <laughs> noticed that? <laughs> no, she knew. But it was just, you know, scary clowns. The yeah. whole thing is just scary clown. And now they've made this movie, and if you've seen the trailers, it's See, very creepy. We, Is it really about a clown? Well, the clown is something else. Because you, the, uh, the clown is one of the many manifestations of it. Uh, it's basically, uh, what are you most afraid of? Clowns. Yeah. A so lot some. of people. So he's a clown for most of the time, because that's what most people are scared of. I'd I'd also be afraid of like somebody that didn't wash their hands. Okay. At leaving a restroom with dry hands. IT guys. Right. IT guys, yeah. I so, yeah, cuz they know your passwords. So I've heard that they feel that movie is going to be very popular. For who? People who want to see that movie. Who 60 are those mil? people? Uh, they're they're saying 60 mil? 60 million people or 60 million dollars? Probably both. 
dollar a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> movies right. are cheap nowadays. Have yeah. You heard? We were looking for a movie to watch and we couldn't find one. Like, I mean, to go to. No, that's not one you're going to want to take the family to. No, no this isn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's a blah. Stay home and watch Manhunt Unabomber. Hmm? It's a good show. What? There's a show on the really? dis- on Discovery has put together this sort of true life drama yeah. thing, but it's like eight episodes. Mm-hmm. It's a good show. You, you know what I it. watched? I did watch the BBC uh, series Victoria on Queen Victoria. Oh. Hmm. Not to back to your Downton Abbey days. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's really good. And this was your suggestion, right? This is not I, your wife's. Yeah, totally mine. Okay, loved it. Mm-hmm. Is she listening? No, oh. I don't think so. But feels like it. It's fa- I, she didn't watch it at all. I watched it all by myself. Oh wow, it was fantastic. You know, there's other things to watch. You don't need to watch. No, I think I've watched them all. Really, I've watched everything officially. Hmm. I'm actually going back <laughs> and watching. Now re-watching. reviewing the library. Interesting. Yeah. I don't. I don't really watch it. I just turn it on a lot of times, but. With Victoria, I did watch it. She was a wonderful queen. What did you learn? That's the Victorian age. Uh, apparently. They named it after her. I learned a lot. Is she married vi- her cousin. Is Awkward. it the Victorian age when she was alive or is that something that you get that name? I think it happened after. So afterwards then they named that age. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's a little pompous so. yeah. to name an age after yourself. Yeah. But what? if you're queen, could you just put out some decree? Mm-hmm. This the, is now the Victorian age? The she Simpsonian age? She was age. a 19-year-old, huh? I think 19-year-old queen. And they huh? all looked at her like, what do you know? You punk. You're a punk queen. Mm. She was amazing. Wow. They've she had been nine using children. They've used that word for many, many years. Yeah, punk has been, I think it's actually a, ro- a royal word. Oh, wow. Yeah. Punketh. Punketh? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Thou punketh me no more. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Just a little uh, information that, a little bit about me. Sure, I could watch anything, but I wanted to watch Victoria. I really wish Downton Abbey had kept going. They're going to make a movie. Eh, don't really want to see that. Why? I like you the series. You just finished saying you wish it... I know, but I, I want to see the series. Like, I can hardly wait for the... Is it The Queen? Is that what that name of that other show is? The Queen? The Crown? The Crown. That one. Come on. I want to see that, too. I, I've actually already seen it. I want to see the next year. I love it. I love it. I actually think I, sh- I, think I, I, think I should have been... I think I have royal blood. Really? I didn't want to bring that up today, but I'm pretty sure I have royal blood in me. Yeah. Well, you're kind of a royal pain. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The royal pain. <laughs> Sounds like a different show. Uh, okay. We'll get to all of that fun and continue the discussion of the royal movies that uh, you need to see. Honestly, you need to get more into it. it BBC, they do it. They do a good job. We will continue all of our learning straight ahead, folks. Textbooks in the digital world, a lot to learn and a lot to understand about our future with our children and future of learning when it comes to digital devices. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. For decades, textbooks were seen as the foundation for instruction in American schools. These discipline-specific tomes were a fundamental part of the educational infrastructure assigned to students for each subject and carried in heavy backpacks 
every day, right, from home to school and back again. The experience of students is much different today. As a scholar of learning technologies and a director for outreach and engagement at Ohio State's uh, College of Education and Human Ecology, our next guest, Nicole Carter-Luthi, has seen how technological advances and an increase in digital curriculum materials have hastened the move away from text, uh, textbooks. Dr. Uh, Nicole Carter-Luthi, thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning. It's my pleasure to be on your show. This is, uh, this is I think, a really big deal because for me especially, I, I used to watch my kids lugging huge bags of books to school, like literally bags you could hardly lift. And now I think, man, do all they need today is a is like an iPad to get through? What's going on? What do you see happening with the you know our world of textbooks? Well, we've seen um, quite a huge change in textbooks, and as you said. You know, we all had that experience of um, lugging books back and forth from home to school. And, and now a lot of schools are moving away from print books to, um, to e-books or digital textbooks. Hmm. And all of the content that the students need for every class can be accessed um, from an iPad, from their phones. Uh, they are walking around with computers in their pockets. So... It's really changed the way that we think about how we access information, how how students interact with and engage with information, and um, certainly been a lot um, a lot nicer for their backs and their shoulders um, <laughs> in the process. Has, how has it impacted quality and, and standard of teaching? It seems like there's huge advantages to technology, and yet uh, also it probably puts a bigger responsibility on a teacher. It does, and one of the one of the challenges that schools have is is in choosing materials that are um, very high quality and um, but also engaging and relevant to their community. Um, with the, the the print textbooks, a lot of the adoptions that happened in the past those were really driven by the large the larger states who um, could dictate the kind of content that was contained there and. With digital printing, because there is no actual physical printing, um, textbook companies can be much more flexible and tailor the materials that they're producing to meet the particular needs of Ohio or any hmm. other state. Is it, it seems like costs would come down, um, but I also know that these are businesses and they usually right. know how not to lower costs. How is how is that going? I mean, it used to be you'd buy a textbook for a hundred dollars and maybe get whatever fifty back or seven sixty back when you turned it back in. Is there are costs coming down? Um, I think costs are coming down. There, are, for one, there are a lot more companies who are um, participating in um, textbook development, if you will. But it's a different kind of, of medium. Um, there's also a lot of free content that's available and content from libraries that have already made bulk purchases. So students can access a lot more content through those digital subscriptions. Um, what I see in a lot of schools is that they are going with an annual subscription for a um, for fewer numbers of, of students. So in the past where they may have purchased, um, say, a 1,000 print textbooks, they're now purchasing uh, maybe 500 subscriptions and using those 
for the students who are taking those courses. And as enrollment goes up or down, they can make those adjustments. So in some ways, it is saving them, um, it is saving them on textbook costs, but it's also giving them the flexibility to go with another product um, if the one that they initially purchased wasn't, isn't working. Um, so it gives schools a lot more flexibility. Yeah. As a, as a scholar of learning technologies, do you, I mean, where does this, does it, because it kind of can never end really. Now all of a sudden I'm thinking a video in, and, and I had it with my son about the eclipse. He was, he was fascinated with the eclipse five or 10 years ago, reading um, up, reading up on it, studying it, understanding it. And now five years later, when the eclipse actually happened, he had all of this information that he probably never learned in his classroom. He just learned on his own. Um, I guess there's no end to digital information that can now be brought into a classroom. That's correct. Um, it really is. It really does open up access to content and and the story that you were just sharing. It's your your son who is going out and finding that content, um, not the teacher. Yeah. And so what we see is really that learning can be more distributed. So everyone can be engaged and pursue the individual interest that they have, but still bring it back to um, a classroom. And so the teacher's role really changes in that case, um, not as someone who has all the knowledge and who is then disseminating that to students, but who is really helping students to think about how to assess and evaluate the credibility and the reliability of the information that they have based on their interests. Boy, that's a big responsibility. And I imagine if a teacher is is going through college right now learning to teach in kind of this distributive approach, that's one thing. But what about all of the teachers that are already out there? Are are you noticing, are they able to keep up? Are they, are they catching up or are the teachers struggling? Uh, I think really the responsibility for um, for making sure that teachers are – learning right along with the students really falls to the to the school or to the school district in that as they are introducing these new materials into their classrooms they need to make sure that they're providing the professional learning opportunities for teachers so that they have the confidence and the competence that they need um, to use these materials effectively and to keep students engaged what i what i see is um, you know teachers have always had to adapt because learning is not static. It changes um, from generation to generation. And so they are used to that. Where it gets a little tricky is that sometimes the students have a lot more knowledge because they've grown up digital. And so they have a lot more knowledge, a lot more comfort in using the materials and the devices than the teachers do. And, and if you're a teacher who really likes to um, be in control, that could present a problem because it does require does require you to let go a little bit and and let the students um, take the lead on something. Yeah, and I, I boy, uh, that's sometimes scary. I mean, I've yeah. had a scout troop I let take control once, and we all paid the price. So it's I, I guess that's but really that's the neat thing about that is all of a sudden these kids start to learn that their learning is up to them. It's not just up to the teacher. That's correct. A lot of the jobs that the students who are in school right now are going to have 
we don't know what those are. We haven't thought them up yet. They haven't been created. And mm. so the, uh, the ability to learn, to teach yourself, to relearn, um, those are skills that will, will serve them well in the future as um, technology continues to drive um, economic growth and job opportunities. Uh, it's that flexibility and learning that will become more important than the actual um, knowledge that you have. Yeah, your ability, yeah, your adaptability, huh, to the content. And is, is uh, help me understand how this works now. I mean, it almost, it used to be that you would be given a textbook from a textbook company and they, every so many years, would update the textbook and make a different, you know, um, you know, a different change here or a fix there based on the latest information. But it is, it seems like in a way it might, you might be better served almost in some dynamic areas as almost having an app or a um, a website where people can constantly keep accessing the latest examples because there's so many examples in the world that could be brought up in the discussions. How are you? How do they deliver the technology? Is it through app? Is it through downloads? Is it through e? You said ebooks. Any other ways that it's coming out? It's it's really all of those um, examples that you just gave. And so the textbook, if we can really call it that. I mean, the most dynamic ones that. Um, are on the market today are um, have adaptive technology, and so as students are individual students are engaging with that text, the um, the software is responding to what they do. So if you're working in a if you're using your math textbook and you are watching videos um, of your teacher or perhaps another teacher show how to solve a particular problem, and then you're responding to some of those problems, um, the textbooks can actually respond to what you're doing. And students are doing that in an environment that feels very much like an app, um, but it has a lot of content and a lot of um, technological power behind it. Um, so the, what they see, what the students see, really feels... Um, almost like a game environment mm. where they can, um, using like a, t- a touch screen, they can access different um, aspects of the textbook, go back and watch videos multiple times if they are having trouble understanding the content. Um, they can see it a different way. They can skip ahead and um, gloss over information that they don't need. So it's really helping them to be smarter now, where it does present a problem is in cases where students really need to focus and do some very close reading. In that case, a digital textbook might actually be more distracting. And so it's always thinking about what the task is and using the tool that's most appropriate. And there's also, you know, parents worry about screen time and eye strain. And mm. so it's not a perfect solution. Um, it's really about making decisions that are appropriate for the task and for the developmental level of the child or the student. You could really see how this this could go crazy. And I mean, I could even see you could make it so interesting in a lot of the learning areas that you could keep the children going back to their learning app just to see more and more digital examples of whatever they're learning. I mean, this could – I would love to see my kid – 
uh, into his learning app so deeply that um, that he is getting eye strain as opposed to just getting <laughs> eye strain from playing video games. Yeah, the um, the textbooks really are amazing. If you see some of the um, some of the more current examples, and students are very much engaged in those. Um, I think what's also interesting about it is, um, it all, you know, they find out things that they would not have uncovered um, using a print book. So they might, there might be a couple of lines about, let's say, the eclipse. To go back to an example um, you gave earlier, a student who's really intrigued by that can simply click on that, and it takes them to all sorts of other resources. Mm. Um, you know. Teachers are really curating content now. They have their textbook, but then they are also bringing in lots of other kinds of resources and packaging those um, in ways that they would have been much more difficult for them to do in the past. Does it put the teacher in a different – as a curator versus as kind of a, um, a handout creator – where she might yeah. or he might be copying someone else's handout. And, you know, the whole old handout days, every day you had all these handouts. I, I wonder, because there seems to be even a bigger obligation if I am all of a sudden starting to link you to other sites or link you to other content, teachers probably have to go above and beyond to make sure that those other sites and links are clean and healthy and, and you know, serve the purpose. There is a lot more work on the part of the teacher. Um, I see teachers doing some really um, innovative things like, you know, they record all of their um, lectures in class so that students can um, review those when they're doing homework, you know, when they get home and then they can't quite remember what happened in class. Um, I also see them doing things like using QR codes and putting those right on the handout or right um, in the, the work that students are doing. So, you know, if you're they're doing homework and run into a problem, they can use a QR code and that will link them to a help video or some other resources that can help them. So you're right. There is a lot more um, upfront investment of time for teachers to create this kind of content. Um, and it, it is, in some ways, it would be easier to to kind of pull out a textbook and say, you know, we're going to start at chapter one and mm-hmm. go until, the, until we run out of days of school. Um, but that would really be doing a disservice to our students, and we know that um, those kinds of approaches are really going to have limited results um, in the future. So the ability to have students sort and sift information and understand how to synthesize that, those are, those are really valuable skills. And, we need to give them opportunities to do that. Yeah. Well, let's continue talking about this and take a break. Uh, be back more with Dr. Nicole Carter Luthi talking about textbooks in a digital world, how we can teach our kids to sort better, sift, and synthesize what they're learning and, and, and know how to really be their own curator of information. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. We 
are speaking with Dr. Nicole Carter-Luthi, who serves as the Director of School Outreach and Engagement in the College of Education and Human Ecology uh, at The Ohio State University. And we're honored to have her on the show as she walks us through textbooks in the digital world. Uh, We appreciate you again. Thank you, Dr. Nicole Carter-Luthi, for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. This is um, one thing as I, as I think about the the kind of movement into the digital age with our learning, our growing is – and you brought it up in the last uh, segment. I mean it might be – it's great for learning and, and having a lot of other resources at your at your fingertips. One downside is just reading. Um, I We've – all summer we tried to get our kids to read but if you don't hand them a book um, – they they actually I'd probably do a lot of reading just online, but are our kids keeping up with their reading without having the hard paper books? And is there any research about uh, how well their reading actually works when they're doing it on um, some other form of technology? Um, you know, the research is fairly mixed on that, and. Um, one of the things, uh, there's some research that shows that comprehension does take a hit when um, students are using um, digital text. And so if, if the plan is to, or the purpose of the lesson is for students to do some really close reading um, or you know, where they need to pay very close attention to details, that may be something that um, is better done on, on print, and in what a lot of teachers do is um, they have students annotating the, the text, the physical printed text, in ways so that they can m- model for them how to do that kind of reading, and then apply those same skills to a digital um, a digital text. Mm. Um, we know that. Um, Certainly, once they enter the workforce, that a lot of the materials that they're going to encounter are going to be digital, as uh, we see a lot of um, a lot of industries moving to that because it's it's a cheaper, more efficient way of of sharing documents and sharing information. So um, it's in some ways it's a matter of efficiency and cost savings, but it's also um, a way for students to develop those skills that they're going to need when they move into the workforce. Yeah, the real the real future, too. I mean, I just had a person I was talking to last night talk about how their law firm is going uh, paperless, which right. in a law firm is like, what? Everything's been on paper. And now they, they pretty much want to eliminate paper to any degree that they can. Um, and so it, it almost seems like you're going to have to gather and gain a whole new discipline. What are some ways we could better prepare our kids to be able to keep their reading levels up, their comprehension levels up, but also, like you said earlier, learn to sort and sift and synthesize data? In, um, in kind of digital media, I think one of the most critical things is for students to be good consumers of the content. Um, you know, we hear a lot about fake news, and we see a lot of information online that um, you know, people can manipulate information. And so our students need to go into any sort of task or even just casual um, reading of content with a very, um, very skeptical um, kind of mindset 
So they, they need to learn to look at who is, who is writing this, this information, what is the source, um, how does it square up against other information that they know. Um, they have to, to really be savvy consumers of digital content because there is a lot of inf- misinformation on the web. And simply because uh, some content is on a website that looks legitimate, it doesn't mean that it's actually factual information. So that would be the first thing. Um, the second would be to um, make sure that students are reading a whole variety of um, different kinds of text. And so we see that um, readership of novels does take a little bit of a dip in the summer, but it's important for especially young children to continue to read so they don't have that, that summer slide, as we call it, um, that happens can happen during the summer. And so think about... Um, kind of a summer reading challenge. You know, we're kind of moving into fall now, but um, we, in my family, we, um, I have a family of athletes, and so competition is always a good motivator for yeah. them. Um, but think about, you know, what motivates your, your own child and um, make that part of that, that reading process. Um, you can also just read books as part of a, you know, we're all going to read the same book. You know, a lot of universities do that as part of a freshman experience where all of the students will read the same book, and then at some point in the fall they'll have an, that author come in to talk about the book. Um, so those kinds of things um, where you can make the learning more social and bring others into that process are um, good ways of engaging children and even teenagers into, um, into reading. Boy, I, I mean, I guess that's part of the key. And again, there's there's no end. You could you could read a book and actually get online and go see two or three interviews from the author before you ever read the book. Get a whole deeper look at it. I mean, it almost makes Cliff Notes kind of a laugh because it's there's so much other information you can get on on all of this inform- on all of these uh, these the learnings we're having i guess in the end it's making uh, our children a little more multidimensional actually i guess a little more 3d in their learning it is and it's also um making them um take more ownership of their own learning and you know they have as i said earlier they they really um by the time they have a cell phone they have a smartphone, they're really walking around with a computer in their pocket. And so, you know, we refer to them as kind of the, the digital age mm. where their physical world, the digital world, have really um, been fused and blurred in a way that they almost expect to be able to reach into their pocket or their backpack and find out information to a question um, on the fly. And so that changes the way you think about how you access information. Um, you know, we find a lot of times, and even in my own family, a question will come up about how to do something. And, you know, our, um, our first instinct is, to, okay, well, let's think about this. And our, our kids' first instinct is, well, let's just ask Google. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> um, true? And don't you love yeah. it when they correct you now, too? And they're like, no, Mom, that's not how you do it. I mean, on right. Google, they say to do it this way. That's right. Um, you know, that's been a phenomenon for um, the, even going back to kind of the millennial age where um, we saw as information became uh, more accessible online that 
you saw children in the families weighing in on major purchases, like which car they were going to purchase or which television <laughs> family should purchase, because they had, you know, they were much more savvy at accessing information and and providing that to their parents. That's amazing. Do you do you sense we're ready for this change, kind of from paper to digital? I mean, financially, is is this going to upset the economic models of traditional education? Um, schools are being much more, um, I think, mindful and strategic in how they're moving into this. So very few school districts are flipping the switch and saying, we're going digital overnight. Um, they're doing that much more incrementally and starting with a particular grade level or a particular um, aspect of the curriculum and making sure that they are providing the training and support for teachers, making sure they have the infrastructure in place. And what I have seen is that that shift is much more gradual. Mm. Um, And so I think, and for the most part, schools are making really smart, really sound decisions about how they move in this direction. Um, But we also have to remember there are large parts of the country where they don't have that kind of access. They don't have high-speed right. Internet access. And so um, that really does create more of a, a digital gap or digital divide, if you will, um, where students um, in some parts of the state um, really are years ahead of others um, because they have access to more, to more content and more information. And I guess that's an important point that we need to remember, Nicole, that we don't want to leave anyone behind simply because they don't get Wi-Fi uh, or they don't get enough Wi-Fi. I mean, that's th- th- there's a whole uh, major issue there as well. And it's easy to lose maybe inner city kids that don't have access to certain things or middle America where they just – the Wi-Fi services aren't there. I mean, is, Wi-Fi is becoming really a, a major right um, I think for a lot of people in the United States anyway. Interesting insights from Dr. Nicole Carter Luthi from The Ohio State University. We appreciate her time and her insights and all of us, really. Let's do what we can to, uh, to understand the new digital age, also take advantage of it, and get our kids ready to, to be better curators and innovators, uh, the ability to synthesize their own content. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll uh, take a quick break here and continue the journey in learning as well as some empty news straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Empty news time, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you a lot of times get, you know, the, the big headlines. You hear those over and over. It's some of the other headlines you may not even know you need to know or need to hear. So we like to get to those with, of course, who better else than Jeff Simpson. Jeff, update us on the empty news. Here is a wonderful example of why you shouldn't be texting while you're driving or, in this case, riding your scooter. So a motor scooter driver watching his phone instead of the road in front of him plunged into a sinkhole that opened up in the middle of a street in China. 
Surveillance camera footage from the road in southwest China shows the sinkhole opening up shortly after 2 a.m. in the middle of the road. A man riding a motor scooter appears a few seconds later and is seen looking down at his phone instead of the road, causing him to ride directly into the hole. I watched the video of this. Really? It's crazy. See, don't check your phone when you're driving near a sinkhole. Right. So luckily he didn't sustain any injuries. Uh, the sinkhole was 16 feet wide, 26 feet long, unbelievable, and more than six feet deep. That's uh, you know. And we have some audio actually. Oh. Oh. There they go. Oh. Yeah. So, look up from your phone. Don't. Or pull over. You know what? Don't. Don't even have your phone if you're driving. And by the way, not because you may not know when the sinkhole's coming. Right. That's the neat thing about a sinkhole is they could just spring up on you. Yeah. Another quick story. Don't try to hijack a car filled with three football players yeah. that have just come from practice. <laughs> so he, uh, this guy, Angelo, Angelo Drew Martinez, who's a 20-year-old, he asked for a ride from them and uh, kept changing the location of where he wanted oh, to be dropped boy. off. Yeah. So he eventually pulls out a gun and orders them out of the car. Oh, boy. The players complied, but when they reportedly saw Martinez fumble with the gun, one of the players got back in the car and punched him in the face. Mm. The, rest of the, pl- the rest of the players joined in the brawl, restraining Martinez until police arrived at the scene. In his mugshot, uh, his eyes are swollen shut and uh, is covered in black and purple bruises. Yeah. And I think we have some audio of that too, real quick. Angelo's got a very um Wow. His very high voice. That brought to us by Adam Sandler. Okay. <laughs> Sounds a lot like Adam Sandler. Okay, well, there you have it. What more do you need to know, folks? Don't uh, get in. Don't try to hijack a car with three football players in it. The lessons you don't get anywhere else. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends, and I hope you're having a great day so far. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Jeff Simpson, Terry South, along for the ride as well. The gang's all here, folks. We're locked and loaded. It's time to uh, start another day, another day of excitement. Today we're going to be talking about cash. Is it falling out of fashion? Is it just not in vogue anymore to carry cash? Yeah, I haven't carried cash in years. Either way. I don't... I, my wife says, you don't need cash. Yeah. yeah. She said that for years. Like, hey, cash is overrated. For me, it's more because I just don't have any money. Oh. Period. Yeah. So Sorry about that. It's uh, it's cash day. Is it is it cool to carry cash anymore? Like, now you have Venmo. We even pay for, like, our tennis lessons through Venmo. We do a lot of stuff through Venmo. Venmo? Mm-hmm. So it's like a it's like a PayPal, but the scary thing about Venmo and PayPal, I guess these aren't regulated by 
the government. Not the same rules. Yeah. Hmm. So it's uh, they don't have the same banking rules, I don't think. It's just we'll hold your cash. Wild West. You know, we'll I pass it through. I wonder if homeless people find it much more difficult to earn money when people aren't carrying around as much cash anymore. Well, yeah, now you have to have a like a square or one of those devices to transact through a credit. I always say I'd love to give, I just don't have any cash. Yeah, what if they, they pull out a out. smartphone? Hey, oh, I no could problem. Take, I could take Square Cash. Give an American Express. Pay through Square Cash. <laughs> ching ching. Good stuff. So uh, we'll be talking about cash today. Also, uh, I don't want to be an alarmist, but... Which is something someone says right before they say something alarming. Go ahead. I'm pretty sure the world is over. No, no, no. It is not. I think it is. Like, the moon Mm -hmm. was orange. Orange. That's because half the West is apparently on fire, and all that smoke is blowing our way. Is it? Is it that? Is. is that it? Yeah. Or is it that it's slowly turning to blood red? No, no, no. No. Sometimes the moon just likes to get a little tan. Man, the a little moon, spray tan. It's. It looked great. Bright. It looked like a tangerine. It's the latest Trump initiative. Everything must be orange. <laughs> or it's the Harvest Moon. Could have eaten, a little bit early. Could or, have eaten too many carrots, mm. maybe, or it's the end of the world. No, it's probably just fire, fires in the West. Yeah. Well, fires were. in the West. That's one of my favorite country music oh, songs, by the way. Song. Johnny Cash, I think. Yeah. Fires in the West. Um, I, I'm pretty sure. I again, I'm not an alarmist. What I is don't... your evidence for the in, for this being the apparent end times, according to Matt Townsend? Okay. Uh, do you want me, where do you want me to start? Just I'm, wherever. Federal government. Well, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's not end times. That's just according to Putin, North Korea is probably not a solvable issue. Yeah. According yeah. to our government, it's the same thing. Y- yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, floods. Right. Uh, rumors of floods and rumors of wars. True. These are true. I don't think rumors of floods is in there. It's. I just made that up. But okay. we have a rumor of a flood with uh, with Hurricane Irma. Don't forget tropical ho- storm Irma. No, it's a hurricane. It's a hurricane five now. Yeah, Irma. They, it doesn't go any higher than five. I found out five is the highest classification for a hurricane. They've never reached a six. Well, but you've you've met a five year old kid, right? Yeah, and that's why. And then there's Jose behind Irma. <gasps> Really? Yeah, but it's probably going to spin off into the Atlantic somewhere. But, like, uh, uh, what is it? Um, Puerto Rico's about to get pegged. Yes. It, mm. Irma is heading straight for Puerto Rico. Right. And they're already closing a base at Key West. Mm. 5,000 workers in Key West, which, you know what that means. Everyone's going to the beach. Today? Mm. For a little bit. <laughs> just get the last little Everyone beach in. Everyone wants those waves, just the first waves, and oh, yeah, then yeah, they yeah. all leave. Then you take off, and then it gets crazy. So uh, rumors of wars, rumors of okay. flooding. Rumors, storms. Okay. Uh, well, here's another one, not uh-huh. to get anecdotal. Oh. Uh, my wife found a lot of bugs coming in one of our windows. Okay. There you go. So now we have pestilence. pestilence. Are they locusts? <laughs> I didn't I didn't taste them. Are I they lo- loci? Locum. Do you? Do you typically have to taste the bug to know what That's it is? How, yeah. Are okay. they, are Locus, they, are they low-key? Yeah. That'd be Anywho, I'm not trying He's just to, moving right on. Yeah. I'm not trying to worry anybody. I just want you to get ready. That's quite alarming, mm-hmm. what you just said there. Yeah. 
or wars and rumors of wars and floods and rumors of but floods. But isn't there always this going on? Mm, it feels different. Really? Because it's happening here? Mm-hmm. I mean... I think it's I think it's just the Trump effect. Monsoon season in Asia has, has several countries swamped yeah. at the moment. Yeah. When I say the world might be over, I'm just saying our world. You mean like your, Western world. Your, oh, okay, gotcha. your world. My world. Your might personal be world. You don't wake up to an orange moon very often. Just saying. And people say, hey, it's just a fire. Yeah. I don't know. I can't see a fire. Hmm. And I can't smell a fire. Hmm. But I do read the paper and there's a lot of fires out there. So anyway, I'm just, just throwing that out there. Don't want to be scary. Just too late. Pack your bags. Pack your bags. Hunker down. So uh so we're talking cash, and by the way, and, and, it's, and cash is no longer in vogue. It's no longer cool. Right. Now you're kind of a geek if you carry cash. Is the term in vogue in vogue anymore? Mm. Great question. Yeah. Check that out. Look up in vogue. Just ask Google, is in vogue in vogue? Actually, go use your Echo what you, or your uh, – what's it called? Yeah, your it's echo. an Echo. Your yeah. Echo. 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 Up next, uh, we're going to be talking about headlines. Of course, the best person to handle the headlines would be the person that actually reads the news. Right. Terry South. What's going on around the rest of the country? Attorney General Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, let's use his full name here, (laughs) announced Tuesday that the Trump administration is ending the Obama-era deferred action for childhood arrivals and immigration policy. Sessions noted that there will be a wind-down period to give Congress time to pass legislation to replace the program. Sessions said President Obama imposed on congressional powers when he created the program through executive order in 2012. The compassionate thing is to end the lawlessness, enforce our laws, and if Congress chooses to make changes to those laws, to do so through the process set forth by our founders in a way that advances the interests of the nation, Sessions said. Hmm. Ahead of the announcement, Trump tweeted that it was up to Congress to address the program, which protects nearly 800,000 undocumented youth from deportation. Um... Kansas Secretary, former Kansas Secretary of State, Chris Kobach. I don't know if he's current or former, but he's someone that they bring out to represent the Republican yeah, viewpoint. somewhat connected to the uh, Secretary of He had a blunter message for the affected young people known as Dreamers. Mm. Uh, go home and get in line. Oh, brother. That was on MSNBC yesterday. So, Boy. It's compassionate. Compassionate conservative. Conservative. And it was so important that uh, the president who made the decision had somebody else make the announcement that affects eight hundred thousand people. In this well, it's he's just really kicking the ball back to Congress, right? Right. And then because didn't he just recently say so? And then if Congress doesn't fill it, figure it out, then I'll review it again in six months. Yes, he'll revisit it. Yes. Which basically he's playing both sides of the fence. He's here. trying to have it both ways. Yes. Mm. And Congress is so efficient at the moment, they're going to take care of taxes. They're going to probably have to cover two hurricanes recovery programs with Irma probably hitting Florida. And then you have... uh, And they're going to gum up Harvey by simply trying to say that we can add more money to the debt. So they have probably like seven things they have to get done. I read somewhere that there's less than 60 days between now and the end of the year where both houses of Congress are in session at the same time. Yeah. See, by the way, so does this not make my earlier position that maybe the world's over because I saw an orange moon today? Could be. See, something's up there. Or there's smoke in the air. Hurricane Irma, as we said, hit Category 5 strength early Tuesday. Forecasters declared warning the approaching storm path is putting it on a direct course for South Florida later in the week. Weather crews detected winds as high as 175 miles per hour as Puerto Rico and Virgin Island officials 
urge residents to take shelter as the monster storm approaches. Irma is the strongest storm on record in the Atlantic since Hurricane Felix in 2007. Wow. And there is no, as I said, no Category 6. 185 mile an hour winds. 175 at the moment. Do you know what that would do to a comb over? (laughs) (laughs) Or to... That would definitely blow your head off. Yeah. It might blow your head off. Could Mm -hmm. do that too. Scary. I found this story interesting. Two Miami businessmen who work for a major U.S. importer of South American gold pled guilty Tuesday in a $3.6 billion money laundering case that has shaken up the nation's precious metals industry. In plea deals, Sam Barrage and Juan Granda uh, admitted in Miami federal court that they imported illegally mined gold from Peru and other South American countries into the United States in a revised money laundering conspiracy case that could send them to prison for up to 10 years. It was 20, but, you know, they're going to cooperate. So only 10 years. Wow. Prosecutors assert that the defendants bought billions of dollars worth of gold from illegal mines in the Amazon rainforest, arranged to refine the precious metals, sold the gold here in the U.S., and then wired the proceeds back to drug traffickers and other criminals in South America, according to the complaint summarized. Uh, the conspiracy case. Narco traffickers and other criminals financed the clandestine operation to convert their cocaine profits into cash, according to prosecutors, Whoa. who did not charge the three defendants with any offenses with dr- dealing with the drugs, just the money laundering. So, in other words, drug cartels were laundering money with gold oh. stolen from the Amazon Smart. through the U.S., and then yeah. they send the money back. See, so this is, see, again, this goes to our cash issue. Yeah. Why do you need cash when they don't even money launder with cash anymore? Because just gold. It's just gold, yeah. Yeah. Just gold. I'm reading that. I'm like, it started out really kind of a slow burn on the story, and then at the end it turned into drug trafficking. You're like, whoa. This got intense. Crazy. Just thought, that's going to be turned into a movie. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of different mm-hmm. elements to that one. And finally, the Boston Red Sox have reportedly used an Apple, iWatch, Apple, uh, Apple Watch to steal signs, including pitching types from opposing teams. The New York Times reports that Major League Baseball has determined that the team executed a scheme to illicitly steal hand signals from opponents' catchers in games against the the second-place New York Yankees and other teams. The Red Sox, who were in first place in the American League East Division, were allegedly probed after the Yankees' general manager, Brian Cashman, filed a formal complaint. The Times reports that the Red Sox eventually admitted to the scheme, but on Tuesday, the team filed a complaint alleging that the Yankees used their TV network cameras to steal signs. Whoa. 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 Them's fighting so words. What, what the Red Sox were doing is they had their video team out in the stands. Yeah. Oh, okay. As all teams do, they have people out there record. I mean, then you use those to well, it's scout. for social media. Well, it's for scouting down the road so you can see what a pitcher's doing. Right. It's all legal to do that, but what's illegal is when your video team is like watching the hand signals and then texting a oh, member. So uh, the someone text on, came in on the phone, yeah, on you, the you, watch. You text one of the staffers on the bench. I thought they weren't allowed to have. Any it's, tech on them. It's the electronics that's the issue. Yeah, he's you, not allowed to have an You Apple. can try to sit there and observe signs and see what's going on. Right. But when they start, like, texting each other, like, okay, that's a fastball. Okay, here's a, here comes a curve, you know, and they're texting back and forth. And then the guy on the bench is telling the players and they're signaling people on the field as to what's happening. That's the problem. So, so of course, you retaliate by accusing your accuser mm-hmm. of doing the same thing. That's brilliant. So if you ever see a pitcher just very concentrate, he's very much concentrating on his glove, getting ready for the windup. Maybe he's got something in the like his he's, iPhone, he's or he's probably, looking at his yeah. Apple yeah, Watch. Yeah, that's what they're looking at, huh? Yeah. So, so uh, when does Bill Belichick get involved? That's football. 
Yeah. And but, he already got in trouble for using his film team to do something similar. <laughs> what is going on? They're getting – I guess they're smartening up. They're using all this new tech. Now, as I as one of my favorite uh, television shows that deal with philosophy once said, ho, 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 it's ho, not – What show is this? South Park. It's not cheating yeah. until you get caught. Oh, wow. Before that, it's just being savvy. It's a good point. Well, no, that's not a good point. I didn't say it was right. I just said it's a good point. <laughs> it's just it's always cheating when you're cheating, whether you're caught or not. Mm, is it? What's going on in Boston that they feel this need to use their video equipment so much, whether it's yeah. the Red Sox or the Patriots? This is true. Maybe why, they thought, hey, the Patriots won why some can't they be Super like, Bowls. Yeah, why can't they be like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? And just not win for – Years on years? Exactly. Okay. Kind of What's sad. the big deal? I mean, why can't they be more like the Buffalo Bills? You name two teams that as an avid watcher of football, I turn the channel when they come I on. Know. I'm like, ugh, not watching that one. What's the big deal? You don't need to cheat to make football or baseball. BYU could have used some cheating, though, the other day. Yeah, but that— They couldn't get past the 50-yard line. Yeah, but then you win a game, but you lose your ticket to heaven. What's that saying? Cheaters, cheaters are no fun. Cheaters, cheaters hurt someone. Or is that secret secrets? Yeah, I I think that's – I don't know. I I, (laughs) I forgot all of those after third grade. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know that one. So is it incorrect to say that it's only cheating if you get caught? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, yes. Wrong. Because cheating is really in your intent. Hmm. And their intent was to gain an, a hand, an upper hand, in an illicit manner. Are you saying we shouldn't use technology to further our careers? Well, we sure haven't used any technology to further our careers. They're cheating. If you're cheating, you shouldn't further your career by cheating. Hmm. Right? You've heard of Governor Blagovich? Is that his name? Governor really? of Illinois. That Blagovich? It's close to that. It's like Something. Blagojevich. Blagojevich. Or, yeah. yeah. He cheated, got caught. He's in jail. Like what or at gra- least like, served jail time. Like what grandma said on her deathbed, cheaters oh. never prosper. Is that what grandma said? Yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not advocating cheating here. I'm just saying, is it all within the... The only thing the Boston Red Sox did wrong is they used technology to, you know... Cheat. Why didn't they just? You well, can do this. You I know, can but why steal signs. Why didn't they just steal the signs and then write a little note and hand it to a little runner boy huh. who like like was the paper boy, right? With like a little you know little knee pants, right? And a newsie, a newsie, and then have the newsie boy <laughs> run it down to the locker room. I I think it's hmm. that would have been legit. Maybe it's more real time through texting rather than yeah. having some kid that may get lost halfway yeah, but through. Then a... you got pegged for cheating. Now yeah. next time, get a little newsy. All right. There's a million of a them. A pigeon? Could a pigeon? Would a pigeon be a problem? How could you stop them from singing and dancing long enough to get the message across? That's the problem with newsies. They get sidetracked. They true. think they can sing. That's why you would do the pigeon because nobody would notice a pigeon landing on like one of the. <laughs> manager's shoulders yeah you see the little note tied to his on the on the tv broadcast that's the fourth time that pigeons flew into the dugout oh, this <laughs> he's is like, crazy he's pulling a little scroll off of his leg <laughs> and reading it. don't you remember the time when randy johnson hit a bird yeah. mid-flight yeah he was trying to send that bird a message totally 
That was probably them cheating back in the old days. Just a public By the way, this be a lesson to all you other birds. And that's just technology. I mean, back then, pigeon transportation and communication via pigeon, it was just advanced technology. Hmm. And we won wars with that. <sighs> Good times. Good times. See? Again, the information you don't get on any other station. We like to go deep, folks. We like to go really deep. Today, we dissected cheating in Major League Sports. With the answer, pigeons. Homing pigeons. That's a great, that's a great answer. Up next, folks, we're taking on cash. Is it, uh, is it falling out of fashion? Is it no longer in vogue to pay with cash? Are you just an, like an old-timer if you're actually still carrying a wallet full of cash? We'll get into it. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Virtual money, credit cards, and debit cards have made cash almost useless today. Uh, once you could cash, you know, get cash, you could buy anything you wanted, right? That was it. All you needed was the cash. You could make a purchase. But apps like Venmo and PayPal make it so you can send friends money at the press of a button. Some airlines will not even accept cash to buy things on planes anymore. So here's the question. Is cash still king? And here to speak with us today is uh, Bashkar Chakravorty. Bashkar Chakravorty. He's a professor of business at Tufts University and wrote a wonderful article on the subject, Cash is Falling Out of Fashion, Will It Disappear Forever?, that you can find in the conversation. Conversation.com. Uh, uh, Dr. Chakavorty, thank you so much for your time and being with us today. Thank you for having me, Matt. What an interesting discussion of cash is no longer uh, what it used to be. What? Where do you see? Um, where do you see cash going? What's happening? Why is it not as appealing anymore as a as a as a form of currency or a form of, or method of payment? Well, I think uh, you know, cash is following the. Uh, the the natural trail of uh, any product that is uh, basically a piece of information that can be translated, uh, trans, you know, uh, transported to us uh, on, uh, uh, on 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 bits and bytes as as a bit and byte. So, uh, you know, it's like movies and 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 images and a photograph, uh, or or even books uh, that are basically pieces of information. Cash is a piece of information which says, "I owe you." Ten dollars, so here are my ten dollars. So if I can just convert that into a bit and uh, send that to you over the internet, we are done. And uh, that is essentially the way in which a lot of transactions are going. And a natural question is, you now why hasn't cash completely disappeared? Just like uh, you know DVDs or you know uh, DVD rental stores. It is so. Wh- why is that? Do you think? I mean. And, and is this only a phenomenon we see in the United States? Are other countries more, uh, you know, more attached to their cash than we are? And how do we fit into the global world? Yeah, so I think this is uh, uh, really the uh, uh, the interesting question in terms of how is cash different from other information products? And we, uh, you know, have a long history uh, with cash, and uh, you know, generally people have an emotional connection with cash. And uh, so depending on uh, who you are, how old you are, and, uh, you know, where you live, uh, you know, we tend to look at cash either as a complete inconvenience or as a source of security. 
and uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the United States, we aren't, you know, we aren't completely rid of cash. There are uh, other countries that are far more advanced in uh, sort of uh, trans, uh, uh, getting uh, getting rid of cash and using digital payments. You know, for countries such as uh, Sweden or France or Switzerland, uh, they use uh, about half as much cash as we do. Hmm. And in the United States, about you know, thirteen percent of our GDP is still uh, cash based. That's a, that's pretty amazing. So, um, I mean, it's it seems like uh, uh, like you were saying, there's an emotional connection to it. There's also a convenience factor that seems to be going on. Um, and in the end, too, I guess um, certain countries, like you're talking about. Uh, I think it was Singapore and France and Sweden. If if all of a sudden we got to, and is this even possible, to get to a completely 100% cash-free, you know, exchange, or it, does that eventually disadvantage certain populations? Are there certain groups of people that no matter what we do, we will still always need cash or want cash? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, this is where uh, we have to also reflect on uh, how uh, penetrated the so-called digital economy is, in you know, at least in the United States. And not everybody has, uh, you know, complete access to, uh, uh, to um, both, uh, you know, smartphones and uh, access to the Internet. And uh, the many parts of the country where uh, you know people uh, don't have access to high-speed internet and uh, and mobile connections are, uh, are you know or, or smartphone penetration isn't isn't as good. So people who uh, you know do not necessarily have access to uh, uh, technology uh, would be disadvantaged if uh, you know stores uh, and restaurants uh, did not uh, did not accept cash. Uh, also, there are uh, there are folks who would rather not have. Uh, their payment activity uh, being recorded and uh, and then potentially uh, monitored uh, either by the government or by other agencies. And every time you make a digital payment, there is a record going somewhere. And uh, most of us don't quite understand where that record is. And we are also increasingly worried about the vulnerability of the digital system. And uh, could somebody break into, uh, you know, my a smartphone or my, uh, my or my you know uh, uh, my account uh, somewhere and uh, you know take uh, whatever stores of cash I have digitally you know and take it away. Are are companies like Venmo and PayPal are they under the same uh, rules that maybe a banking organization is to report um, those transactions to the government? Well, they're not. Uh, they're not obligated to report uh, transactions to the government. I mean, that would be uh, that would be illegal. Uh, the concern uh, that most people have is that there is a record, uh, and uh, we don't fully understand who has access to that record and if that access uh, might change uh, someday. Because the, lo- the the laws governing this uh, are, are still a little bit, uh, you know, in the gray area. Hmm. It really is a. It's. I mean, I guess too. There's examples in India where they they actually uh, altered the the cash. They tried to exchange out certain bills for other bills, just in an effort to to slow some illegal activity. Um, is that? I guess that that's one of the benefits of government. Um, I guess being in charge of cash and the cash flow and currency is they can. They, I guess they can track certain um, illegal activities better. Well, in 
India, they, they, they took perhaps, uh, you know, probably the most drastic action anywhere. Uh, so in November last year, uh, they demonetized 86% of the currency. And essentially, these were the two largest denomination bills. And, uh, uh, and basically, they kind of said, well, you know, overnight, uh, these, uh, these banknotes, uh, uh, the 500 rupee and the 1,000 rupee banknotes are, uh, you know, are not uh, legal tender anymore. So if you have them in your possession, bring them uh, into a bank and we'll exchange them for new currency. And that essentially sort of threw the entire country into chaos. And the idea was that if, if you were hoarding uh, cash because you didn't want the government to track uh, your, uh, your activity, uh, this would be a way to uh, you know, either uh, leave you stranded or if you came to a bank to exchange your currency, you know, people would ask you where you got that money from. Uh, so uh, unfortunately, uh, what happened was 99% of all the, uh, the demonetized currency in India was returned. And uh, somehow people found a way to deposit them in, in the bank accounts and get the, the new currency. So the entire exercise uh, was, uh, you know, essentially an ex- exercise in futility. It didn't, uh, it didn't uh, uh, yeah. uh, leave anybody out in the court. And it sounds like it impacted businesses, and it may have uh, turned a, a lot of uh, citizens off because it seems like more of them turned to the apps to, to transact business instead of using cash. Yeah, in the short term, people turned to apps, and then you know, once uh, currency came back into circulation, essentially everybody's gone back to using cash. In India, uh, is ninety percent, ninety percent plus dependent on cash in terms of its day-to-day transactions. So this is a heavily cash, cash-loving country. We're speaking with Dr. Bhaskar Chakravorty, um, who is a professor of business at Tush University, and he's walking us through. Uh, some insights into the really the the power of cash and it's maybe it's diminishing um, state of uh, in being in vogue or in fashion. Um, Bhaskar, when you think about it, I mean, what's the downside? Are there economic downsides if countries move away from cash or um, or actually use cash more? Is there an advantage to cash? Well, based on some studies that we have done across uh, a, a number of countries, what we have found is that there is uh, net-net a cost of using cash. Uh, so if we do move away from cash, uh, you end up creating value. And uh, uh, we've done a study in the U.S. a few years back where uh, the cost of using cash in the U.S. Uh, adds up to uh, upwards of $200 billion. That's billion with a B. So if we could get the entire U.S. economy to move away from cash to digital payments, uh, we could save at least $200 billion, if not more. Is that just in printing and processing cash? No, that's just a small part of it. So uh, the, 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 the different uh, costs are uh, costs to consumers. Uh, you know, consumers uh, have to take time out of work or whatever else they're doing to go to an ATM and take out cash. Uh, they have to pay fees at the ATM, and depending on... Uh, you know, what the size of their bank accounts are, those fees could be very large. Uh, they may have to cash, uh, you know, checks uh, for which they have to pay fees. Uh, then there are businesses that have to store cash, uh, that cash could get stolen. Uh, then they have to transport cash from their cash registers to their bank accounts, in which case they need to pay, uh, you know, uh, the armored truck uh, for it, and that yeah. entails costs. And then from the government standpoint, the fact that there is a cash economy uh, that doesn't get tracked by the government means lost taxes. So about $100 billion worth of taxes 
uh, escape uh, the revenue service, and that is a loss to uh, to the public. Interesting, yeah, because I mean, many business people are would love to just be cash only, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, use the cash uh, in an unreported way, I guess. Is it um, so? Boy, it's it's interesting. So there there is kind of a strong economic, I guess, benefit to um, to moving to a non cash. Basis, but then one of the points you brought up in your article that to, to me I had never thought about, but you, you've kind of alluded to it throughout the interview, is the privacy of it. Cash enables a level of privacy um, and I guess security that uh, that that's, it would be hard to replicate. Yeah, absolutely, and this is one of the biggest concerns that people have, which is uh, you know the concern about privacy. It's also anonymity, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, if I give you ten dollars, you know, no one knows that I have given it to you. On the other hand, if I put it uh, in the form of a digital payment, there's a record that it's me who has given money to Matt, and and you know, people are worried about you who might have access to that information. And the other uh, the other concern that uh, people should have is that if I have a, a, a digital payment app on my phone and I walk into a store. And if that store is not ready to accept it, because, you know, uh, if I have $10, we know it's acceptable. Yeah. Whereas apps, you know, you need two sides to a transaction. That's so true. And it's, I mean, yeah, it's the systems are already set up and everything is, you you know your money is good. It's interesting, though, too, that some companies and organizations are actually, I guess, not facilitating cash transactions. I mean, I've heard like on airplanes, you got to, you know, you got to pay with a card or certain times you just have to use a card is, um, I mean, I guess, is is that legal to not accept cash? Is that just up to the vendor? Uh, I don't know the legality uh, aspect of it. And airlines, uh, you know, basically for them, it's a matter of convenience. Yeah. And uh, they generally expect that anybody who gets on a plane uh, will have a credit card in their pocket. So uh, and it's generally convenient even for the passengers uh, to pay by card. Uh, but I don't know if there's somebody could actually sue the airlines for not accepting cash. Hmm. And it, I mean, I guess, too, the. We hear so many stories about hacking, and I could – I mean, I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of damage that could be done with somebody getting into your Venmo account or something like that. Sure, absolutely. And all these uh, payment apps, they are beefing up their security and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the cyber protocols. But, uh, you know, the hackers uh, are, uh, are always kind of uh, just a half a step ahead of uh, people who are trying to set up these security barriers. Do you um, – uh, when you think of it kind of as on the academic side of it, does this seem like something realistically that we are going to move into? And is this, is this something that a government should push? Is that what's happening in Singapore and in Sweden? Is it just that the government's so behind it that they facilitate it to make sure the conditions are, are ripe? Or is this just totally being driven by the market? Well, it's a combination of government and market, but definitely a huge role uh, on the part of governments uh, to uh, to encourage digital payments. And uh, the reason for that is pretty straightforward. I mean, one is the government uh, would like to uh, make sure that uh, there isn't an underground economy being facilitated by cash. And uh, and you know the the argument that I made about the cost of cash. I mean, that is that is a that is a really a real issue. I think for the United States is a bit of a different, uh, a different challenge, uh, which is, you know, United States is very different from Singapore, uh, which uh, happens to have uh, a government that plays uh, 
uh, in the economy with a very heavy hand, uh, whereas in the U.S. we have uh, somewhat different systems. So the transition from cash to digital in the U.S. is going to take much, much longer. And talk about the countries that are least, that are still using cash the most. What countries are still mostly reliant on cash? You know, generally, uh, uh, less developed countries are heavily reliant on cash, and upwards of 90% uh, countries like uh, Egypt or India, uh, you know, very, very cash-dependent. Surprisingly, a country like Japan is also extremely cash-dependent, and a lot of that has to do with just, just Japanese culture. It, it, why? Just it's, uh, it's just how they transact. It's just they feel safer. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are many things about Japan, uh, the Japanese economy, Japanese society. It's almost like a, a, a Galapagos civilization. Uh, they have developed their own means of transacting, which is very different from the rest of the world. For instance, fax machines are still quite popular in Japan. And you probably haven't seen a fax no. machine most places in the United States. That's interesting. Talk about, as we're, as we're wrapping up uh, the interview, What would you? where do you see this going in the future? Do you see that America eventually goes or uh, the United States eventually goes completely cashless or will there always be a place for cash? I don't think uh, we're going to be completely cashless. I believe we will be less cash rather than cashless. Uh, However, the trends are in the direction of uh, using uh, cash less frequently. And the other transformation that is going to happen is uh, more and more people are going to get comfortable with the digital systems uh, whether it's on a smartphone or other means of trans- transacting, uh, uh, you know, over uh, over the internet, and uh, uh, there's also a generational shift. So if you talk to a teenager, they're far more comfortable using an app than you know somebody who's in their 40s and 50s. So as the population you know turns over from the baby boomers to uh, the next generation, you know, this is a generation uh, that has uh, grown up uh, essentially using apps for everything. So for them, you know, using Venmo is or whatever the the, the child of Venmo is uh, something that comes completely natural. Uh, uh, naturally to them, and uh, a lot of kids these days. Uh, and actually, I you know, I'm not a kid, but you know I don't carry any cash in my pocket. Yeah, me either. My wife won't let me for some reason, Bashkar. Um, yeah. It's kind of rude. The biggest, the biggest problem is you know you're trying to you're trying to park your car, and the parking meter takes only quarters. Mm-hmm. That's when you're running around trying to figure out, okay, how do I do this? Or uh, when you arrive in a foreign city and uh, you're checking into a hotel and you want to tip the you know person at the hotel and you know reach into your pocket, there's no cash. So you know we have lots of situations that uh, for you know where uh, we do regret not having cash in our pocket. And I guess I assume the market and the innovators will eventually be creating easy answers to those issues. Oh, absolutely. For instance, uh, in China, where uh, basically in urban China, uh, it's almost close to 100% cashless. Everything is done uh, digitally. And uh, if you want to tip somebody at at a hotel, uh, the person will have a QR code, and you just scan the QR code on your phone, and there you go. You can pay them, uh, uh, you know, uh, virtually. Wow. yeah, yeah, and that's pretty much uh, the system that's going to, you know, migrate to other parts of the world. Well, it's innovation one way or another. We appreciate uh, your insight. Again, Dr. Bashkar Chakravorty, Dr. Bashkar Chakravorty, um, for your time, for being with us. Uh, Dr. Chakravorty is a business professor at Tufts University and the executive director of Fletcher's Institute for Business in a in the Global Context. Uh, We're honored to have him on the show and to learn 
about what uh, what a cashless world might look like. How powerful and uh, innovative is that? Could you imagine the day when you grandma gave you a dollar and you just hung on to that dollar and it meant you you know you had some actual tangible asset to transact? Um, and nowadays, you just take your iPhone and wave it around, and the next thing you know, you've just bought lunch. There goes cash, folks. Uh, I'm telling you, that red moon, that orange moon I saw today may be telling us something. Interesting stuff. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show, giving you a leg up in life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we're talking, we just talked cash and uh, how cash may be on the way out. People just aren't using it like they used to. I mean, let alone coins. I mean, for heaven's sakes, where do you even use a coin anymore? I could, I, I, do payphones even exist anymore? Can you still find a payphone? Yes. Where? Very rare. I, I, you see them every once in a while. Like my wife and I are walking. I can't remember where we were, but we stopped and looked at it. Like, wow, Did every, what is sudden, that's a payphone. And you can find, you can still find phone booths, but they're only good for traveling through time. Now you can't oh, use them yeah. as phones. Yeah, anymore. the time warp booth in New York. There were. I don't know if they've actually, uh, you know, got the program active or not. But they're working on changing all the payphones locations into Wi-Fi hotspots. Yeah. So you just have this whole network throughout the city because there's so many payphones, but no one uses them. How interesting. Yeah. You can use them now. as charging stations. That yeah, too. That's a great idea. Yeah. Just a big charging station. Um, well, back to cash. Do you remember uh, in April 2016, President Obama's Treasury Secretary, Jack Lew, said that the black abolitionist hero, uh, Harriet Tubman, would be on the new $20 bill. Hmm. But apparently um, the Trump you know the Trump administration; they're a little slower to to want to get into to formalizing that decision. Okay, so they're they're Steve Mnuchin, who's the Treasury Secretary, I believe. Mm-hmm. He now is saying they will be looking at the issue. It was supposed to begin, I think, production right away, right this this year, and now they're putting a little bit of a hold on it, and they they want to review it to see. I, I don't know if they're questioning Harriet Tubman or if they're questioning the redesign of the $20 bill. So it's been years since I've had a $20 bill. Could you refresh my memory as to who's on there? Or the president's love for Andrew Jackson. I thought it was Jackson. Yeah. But again, and I, the, I don't, never have $20. Remember, the president has Andrew Jackson on his wall in his yeah. in his office. Visited his uh, gravesite at one point since he's been elected. So it, the idea now guys. is why replace Jackson with Harriet Tubman when you could just keep Jackson? I And I thought for sure, you know, maybe even put Trump on the 20. Well, yeah, maybe they're holding out to see if he'll accomplish something big enough that would warrant putting him on the $20 bill. Well, uh, well did you see his electoral college win? Yeah, did that you, should be enough. Did you not see his audience size at his inauguration? I mean, with how he those, talk- two, those two things combined. With how he talks about it, with how uh, yeah. when he met with uh, leaders of Europe, that was in some of the talking points oh, sure. that the uh, handlers for all these presidents all over Europe 
were given you need to talk about his electoral college victory and then he'll be more right. you know he'll he'll want to talk to you more and maybe negotiate with you better if you just yeah. mention this great victory of his oh i think alexander hamilton is apparently on the 10 dollar bill oh is that right uh, after plans to boot Alexander off of the $10 bill sparked backlash, Treasury came up with a plan to eventually redesign three different notes in order to incorporate women. The $10 bill would keep Hamilton on the front and mm, on the back right. would have the montage of women involved in the American suffrage movement. Lucretia Mott, Sojourner Truth, and Susan B. Anthony. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Alice Paul, I guess that's five women. The $20 bill would replace Andrew Jackson. I guess Andrew's on the 10 and the 20. Anyway, the, the $20 bill would Again, replace Andrew Jackson with Tubman. Whoa. He's probably rolling around in his grave right now. I doubt it. Really? He's probably resting. Hmm. Yeah. There's nothing worse than that, though. $5 bill will keep Abraham Lincoln on it. So, I mean, all of this talk of cash, but in reality, do we... Do we even need cash if it's on the way out? I mean, now all of this. But I mean, I, I think we should support, you know, highlighting these great leaders, the females, as well as, by the way, apparently on the $20 bill, they wanted to uh, maybe put uh, Native Americans on it as well. You know, there was in a movie, Eddie Murphy plays this astronaut or something in this futuristic movie called The Adventures of Pluto Nash. And he goes to hand somebody some currency, and he's like, here, take a few Hillary's, and it's bills with Hillary Clinton on them. <laughs> well, apparently uh, yeah. they misread the future. Boy. And this was like back in early 2000, early, yeah, like 2000, 2001. <laughs> Hillary's. Her book's coming out, though. Yes. Apparently it's a tell-all. It's a tell-all about why she lost. Don't we know? She didn't go to Wisconsin and Michigan? Well, I think it was... Nobody knew that there was this juggernaut Don, Donald Trump that was going to move the electorate in such a way. Including Donald Trump. Yeah. Great stuff. <laughs> we uh, will continue this journey, folks, in just a few minutes, uh, wrapping it up with a little empty news for you. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. You're a millennial. Yes, it's our millennial anthem. And as we've talked about the fact that cash may be going out because people love their cell phones so much, maybe mm. it's time to figure out, uh, are, do, are we using the phones too much? According to some latest research, apparently millennials, they may be in trouble. They're a little attached to their yeah. devices. At what point will we not be able to just blame millennials for things? Well, as soon as the next generation Gets a name? appears, has a name, and then we can make fun of them for a few, you know. Maybe a decade. By the way, I think you are a millennial at heart. Oh, Matt. for sure. Because yeah. you're always playing with your phone. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, you I played fidget. with your fidget spinner all throughout the show. I'm, I'm a member of the fidgetal age. That's what we, I learned yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Wow. Thanks, Please. folks. I'm here all day. I tested well with the audience, apparently. Yeah. So, according to this uh, study, 69% of millennials feel anxious when they're without their phones. Uh, this poll was conducted between June and August with a sample size of 7,000 millennials. Wow. So 7,000 millennials, 69% of them feel very anxious when their phone is not within reach. 31% reported not feeling stressed overall, and women respondents were more likely to feel anxious without their phones, 76% compared to 63% of men. Unbelievable. Sorry. 
So what do you think? Is that is that? You want me to lay that down no, no, with no. some music? No, no, that, okay. I just like to do acapella. That um, that's a that's I believe the stat. Don't you think? I mean, they're they're ner- they're nervous. They're they're addicted. From the number of people I see trying to walk and look at their phones, which is a majority of people oh, yeah. in most port. Every most time I go on my I go. walk, I, everyone thinks I'm texting. Right. I'm taking notes on what I'm listening to. Mm. Right, mm. right. Because but you're... I'm still about to die. And I, yeah. every time I come to a corner, I my fight or flight in my brain says, hey, dude, you don't want to die on this corner. Let's wait till the next corner. So or, then I look up. Or how many times I'm trying to talk with our producers of the show yeah. and explain to them what we expect of them. And they just like sneak. They feel yeah. like they're sneaking a look at their phone, but it's like they're right in front of me and they're like just like. Reading and texting. Must and look at trying phone. to talk to me and both, and so I just start saying things that are. You know, that's. Let me tell you what absurd. I do. It's yeah. a really HR doesn't love it, but you just slap them oh, right in the wow. face right then. Physical contact, and then they drop their phone, and then you're like. Psychologist Larry Rosen told 60 Minutes in June that when people are away from their phones, their brains can send a flight or a fight or flight signal. Yeah, as if responding to danger. This resilience on cell phones has grown partially. Because apps are designed to make users want to check them more often, as a Google product manager says. The uh, the poll is just one more indicator that psychological impacts of mobile devices can have on people have yet to be fully understood. We're just getting into it. 69% of millennials feel anxious without their phones. Oh, yeah. You just see him there in the corner just shaking Twitching. in the fetal position. Mm-hmm. Though I kind of freak out, too. It's like, where's my phone? Where'd no. it go? Even it, though I'm not holding it, I yeah. just I want to have it near me. It's a, well, and I walked in on comfort. you that one time when you were mm. talking to it. I was talking to my phone. Yeah, speaker. Precious. I was no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just cleaning it. Well, it gets dirty. There's You're so finger, dirty, fingerprints. dirty little phone. Little fingerprints. It's annoying. <laughs> my yeah. Goodness. Yeah, those are good days. Good days, folks. See, helping you uh, live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives, and hopefully give up your phone. Once in a while. That's the goal of the Matt Townsend Show. Next hour, we continue the journey. Next hour, we'll be talking about how practicing may actually help your brain focus more. You won't want to miss that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Up and at them, folks. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here with Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson. On the harmonica. Do we need to play like, is it Reveille? Is that what it is? Yeah, we should should play Reveille. All right. Get everyone at attention. I always hated that. You go to like scout camp and some yeah, some guys over there was bolt with his horn. Like, what are you doing? Just let everyone get up with the sun. But and because they only play their bugle every summer. Oh yeah. So yeah. they're not very good at no. it. No. Get up with the sun. Forget that. Get up at noon. It sounds like a wounded animal over there, and he's on. <laughs> Somebody put that thing out of its misery. We have got a great program. Of uh, of course. I mean, when have we not? Right? I mean, except for those that won. Yeah, except but for the ones re- that... We don't remember those, and I deleted yeah. the podcast, exactly. so we're fine. So they can't even prove they existed. No, no evidence. Today we're going to be talking about how to pay, how by paying attention, you can actually get your brain to practice focusing more. And so your focus and attention can go up. Huh? 
Exactly. And the perfect example we're going to be testing on Jeff today, his mm. ability to focus um, with this research of um, – it's really pretty strong academic research. And it's it may be creating some answers for some big problems in the world, ADHD. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, 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 nope. no. We're just doing a show here. Okay. Sorry. He uh, he needs to practice. Yeah. It's all right. Work in progress. Whether you have ADHD, maybe other focus issues, uh, maybe the way to do it is practice. Get rid of your spinner. Put your put your fidget spinner down. I Jeff reminded me last hour that I didn't have my fidget spinner. He actually just mentioned my fidget spinner and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember. I got to go get it. So during the break, I got it and now I don't know what it is. I feel a lot calmer, yeah. more relaxed. Mm. Well, as you know, if you don't have your fidget spinner, we have a uh, sponsor that has a book with a bunch of other ideas for things that you can do to fidget. Really? Mm-hmm. There's other things you can do other than fidget spinning? Yes. Well, let's at the end of this hour. Should okay. we get to it? Let's sure. talk. Let's. I, I, anything I can do to promote our sponsors. What was the yeah. name of the book? Fidget fads. Fidget fads. Because hmm. you can spin anything. I don't know if you know this, Terry. You can spin anything. True. I mean, uh, the White House is spinning left and right constantly. Yes. Uh, but you can spin knives, forks, spoons. I can spin a pen on my fi- on my hand. Hmm. If you're Linda Blair, you can spin your head. Yeah. Certain movies, yes. Uh-huh. Right. Now, I don't recommend the head spinning thing. No, that's probably not. It's the... a total party ender. Yeah. Like, okay, time to go home, everybody. <laughs> Did you see our host head spin all the way around? Yeah. So uh, we will. We will uh, have a little message from one of our sponsors up in a few minutes as well. Also, of course, empty news on the show. We uh, – MT, not, not – like it's, it's devoid of anything. It's MT, like Matt Townsend News. Mm. Just the headlines you didn't know you needed to know. We'll be getting to those as well. But first, let's get to the, the very real headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world and country we should be paying attention President to? President Donald Trump said Tuesday night that if Congress cannot pass a legislative fix for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA, that his administration scrapped, he will revisit it. Not sure what that means. Congress now has six months to legalize uh, DACA or something like it, the Obama administration was not able to make it a law, which made it so easy to overturn, yeah. which is kind of their fault. They should have worked harder to, but if the, it was that important, make it Well, but the problem solid, was, right? is you also have Congress at odds with each other. So passing anything is yeah. now. Today is a day when if the Republicans wanted it, it seems like you could get it passed, which is, I guess, why President Trump's deferring it back to Congress but it seems like Trump should give his opinion. Right. Like, I deeply believe in DACA and we should keep it. Make it happen, Congress. But it don't, I don't think he's said that. He's no, like, I'm not, not, not that forceful. I'm not, I'm not going to reinstate it. You guys need to make it legit. He said if, if they or Congress can't make this a law, he goes, I will revisit the issue. But that doesn't mean, what does that mean? Like, I will eventually tell you what my opinion is on it? He declined to offer specifics on what revisiting would entail. Congressional Republicans have yet to pave out a path forward on a legislative fix, and lawmakers remain divided on the issue. Trump frequently makes promises he doesn't keep, and earlier Tuesday, his administration announced that DACA would be phased out over the next six months to buy Congress time. The New York Times report that Reports that Trump asked his staff if there was a way out of deciding on DACA before oh. he decided on it. Hold on, hold on. So 
it, it seems like what we need is a leader on the issue, but he's trying to find a way out of having to decide on it or give the, his opinion about it. The New York it. Times yesterday also quoted some staff members who weren't quite sure if the president knew what that all entailed when it came to DACA. If he knew what the program was, who yeah. was he affecting, all the details. It was just kind of like uh, somebody on, I read on Twitter, somebody said they should ask the president if he could tell you what DACA stands for. DACA. It's an abbreviation. Oh, oh. Does he know it's the, the Deferred Action for Childhood Child. Arrivals? Could yeah. he say that? And I don't know if that's... That's not usually the uh, level of detail he goes to. He just kind of gets the the no. broad overstrokes yeah. and then goes ahead and yeah. makes believe, a decision. But, but believe me... Yeah. He'll revisit He'll it. revisit it. We'll see what happens. Believe me. As Hurricane Irma continues to move for, uh, towards Florida with catastrophic force, it's first paved a path over small Caribbean islands of St. Martin, Antigua, and St. Bart's after making landfall on Barbuda around 2 a.m. I looked up Barbuda. Barbuda. thought maybe that was some sort of typo. Yeah, yeah. There's an island. It's called Barbuda. They haven't been able to talk to it. Uh, the BBC just reported that they haven't had any communications for almost 24 hours. It seems like the illegitimate child of Barbados yeah. and Bermuda. Yeah, right, but mm-hmm. Barbuda. A Category 5 storm, Irma's clocking winds of 185 miles per hour, wrecking havoc on the island communities. Early footage mostly taken during the hurricane's eye, so the calm part. Ugh. So they, they kept the first yeah. part of it, then it's calm, and then the back end comes through. It's devastation. Everything's flat. I just watched a video of them flying the plane into the hurricane's eye, which, how would you like to do that job? Yeah. What are you doing today, honey? I'm just going to fly into Irma's eye. (laughs) It's terrifying. Yeah. And then calm. Right. Similar to if you watch uh, Kong Island, a bunch of helicopters fly through the storm that encircles Kong Island as they approach to okay, try so to find I'm, I'm talking about that movie was kind of entertaining yeah i like i'm it. talking about a real hurricane <laughs> well this, with a hurricane yeah. level five yeah irma mm-hmm. is her name by the way ruining a good name right and you're talking about kong island well this yes. was a real movie well it's skull island the movie is very yeah. real but it's king kong yeah yeah but i mean just uh, the the theatrical depiction of flying through a fierce storm well is no, but you, can, you can actually if you want, you can go to CNN, yeah, and you can actually watch flying into a Hurricane Five's it's, eye. That's too real. But by the way, and there will not be a large gorilla in the in that video. And again, less cool. Yeah, you just kind of get into the eye. No, like, I get that's it. great. I get but it. The I other way, it. you're fighting a gorilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on. Uh, the storm is expected across Puerto Rico Wednesday, edge past Haiti and the Dominican Republic and Cuba before making landfall <laughs> in Florida. So just going to Haiti those can't hand, Haiti no. doesn't need another mm-hmm. problem. Well, they need to move. They need to take <laughs> the entire island and move it somewhere else. Oh. It seems to be a target. Poor and Puerto Rico. I mean, this is going to devastate. Yeah. Okay, it's going to be bad. According to a new study, plastic fibers are contaminating tap water around the world. The study found that 83 percent of tap water samples from more than a dozen countries were contaminated. The United States contamination rate was even higher at 94 percent. Plastic fibers were found in water coming from congressional buildings, the Environmental Protection Agency headquarters, and Trump Tower, among other places. We have. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong, Larry? I got plastic in my water. We have enough data from looking at wildlife and the impacts that it's having on wildlife to be concerned, said Dr. Sherry Mason, who spearheaded the study. If it's impacting wildlife, then how do we think it's not going to impact us? So this is just – this is plastic bags. All these other things get into our water system. They break down. They break down, get chopped little up. Little fibers. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you're drinking it. Yeah, which and is you, not good. You've got that – it sounds like a little Metamucil mix. Mm. It's not the good kind of fiber. 
Yeah. It's the plastic fiber. It's not going to help you. And finally, uh, this is bad. What? This may be bad for Star Wars fans. Oh, no. This this is good. What? What? Col- Colin, Colin Trevero is no longer directing the next chapter of the Skywalker saga, Star Wars Episode Nine. Oh, I, I never heard of him. The official line from Lucasfilm, Colin has been a wonderful collaborator throughout the developmental process, but we have all come to the conclusion that our visions for the project differ. The Hollywood Reporter hears that script issues were at the core of the parting. Who will get the job now? The news oh. about the 2019 film was the latest behind-the-scenes shakeup in the Star Wars galaxy. You recall that director Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were replaced in June by Ron Howard on next year's Han Solo film. Let me just translate that statement from Disney. Yeah, please. Following the abysmal box office of Colin Trevorrow's latest film, The Book of Henry, we've decided to hire a new director. Wow. That wow. didn't even sound anything no. like. They've got good PR. But it's implied. Yes, so he definitely. So he was his last movie, but w- which wasn't a Star Wars movie, didn't cut it. No, it was a total bomb. And so they're like, we can't risk. But the concern is usually that during the process of development, you mm-hmm. start replacing directors, and it shows that there is there's problems. And then when you want the movie to be good, it tends to lead to negative thoughts from fans, and then the movie doesn't go well, and it's all links back to these changes where you can't get a singular focus on what you're doing, and there's oh, conflict. Boy. And, yeah. Well, how's he ever going to get another job? He will. People also know that Disney slash Star he, Wars slash Marvel, they're kind of finicky. He'll still be a producer on the <laughs> Jurassic World films. But the reason I think this is true, what I said anyway, is Josh Trank was supposed to direct another Star Wars film. Yeah. He had a huge turkey of a film with Fantastic Four. Yeah, that was bad. So following yeah. that, he tranked it. they axed him too. They, so, they axed him what? They axed him too. Also, they, not they, into. But fired him. Oh, I thought you said they axed him. They like they or they axed him a question. No, no. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not following all of this. What the, the so right all now of this Hollywood news? I thought this would be done like on our last hour of our on our Friday show. No, Jeff just saying. Show, the Han Solo movie is Ron Howard. They had to replace that director, right? Then you have uh, The Last Jedi, which comes out in December. Yeah. Apparently that one's safe because they're, they're editing that, yeah. getting that together. And then the next, then they're, then uh, in 2019, you have the third of the next set of trilogy. You know, they, yeah. the next three movies. The third movie's coming out, and that one's seeing some structural issues when the director just gets fired. Why, why, don't, why don't they just keep the same director? For all the movies? Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't do that. I mean, because that same director could just build t- two times the teams, but it's the same creative sure. genius behind it. And if it's Ron Howard, you know that guy knows Star Wars because he was on Happy Days. Okay. Wow. Well, do you ever find yourself doing something as a parent that when you think about it, you realize, oh, maybe I'm just doing this because that's what was done before me? No. I think that's the real uh, reason that's for it. this. They're just they don't really know, yeah. but that's what was done in the original trilogy, so let's just have somebody new for every film. Yeah. I think I think you want continuity. The other thing is it's hard to have power over someone who uh, is the director of three movies 
in a row that make a billion dollars because they start getting kind of full of themselves. Like, look, my movies are awesome when yeah, it's really it's probably Ron just Howard. the product. I mean, Ron Howard was That's, on – he went. He lived in Mayberry. Yeah. Right? Hmm. So who else do you want to do Disney than the guy that grew up in Mayberry? Well, this isn't Disney, though. Who, who else do you want to do Star, Star Wars, Wars than the guy that grew up in Mayberry and went to Jefferson High on Happy Days? Hmm. Hmm. I'm just saying. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I'm glad I added my little part to that. I think, <laughs> I think it helped a lot. I noticed it shut you guys up. Anyway, let's get to some empty news. Great All job. Right. Uh, great insight, Terry. Are you, are you ready for a little game? <laughs> yeah, I love games. Okay. So let me read you the story first. Okay. This is a news story, an actual news story. Yes. And we're turning it into a game. There's a man who uh, was in court, okay. screamed at a judge, who are you to tell me what to do? Oh. The judge jailed him. Yeah, okay. don't say that. So Jordan Wills will spend two weeks behind bars after Judge Simon James refused to accept his apology for the angry tirade in court. The 22-year-old called the judge an obscene name, which you can't do, ah, when he appeared in court 30. for an unrelated matter before starting a tussle with security. Oh, when boy. Judge James asked the defendant not to use obscene language, Wills replied, who are you to tell me what to do? <laughs> Wills has now been jailed for two weeks for contempt of court after the outburst. He was removed from the court, but tried to burst back into the room to shout, I love you, to his girlfriend. Because she's going to find that very impressive. Does, I don't think James actually recognizes where he is. He's, he doesn't right. know he's in a court. Okay. Okay. So we're going to play. Yeah. Who are you to tell me what to do? Okay. okay. This will be fun. So I'm going to give you a phrase, and you tell me who's saying it. Could be a... Uh, an employee of some kind. Okay. It could be somebody that you know. Okay. 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 I mean, I, by the way, I'm not, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know a lot of. Okay. Singers, we'll start off but... with an easy one. Yeah. Please stop sleeping under your desk. Oh, that's, that's Don Shaline, our boss, my boss. Very yeah, good. He Very says good. that like twice a week. Okay. Sir, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Uh huh. That's, uh, that's, that's a funny one. That is um, – can you say that again? Sir, I'm – Sir, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Yeah, that would be the referee at halftime during my son's basketball game. We'll allow that. I also would have accepted manager at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I think you've had enough. I think you've had enough. That is my wife on Thanksgiving. It is your wife. We also would have ex uh, accepted uh, speaking of your Netflix binging. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Now, You're this, doing really well. These are a lot easier than yeah. I thought. Okay. Be. Now, yeah. here's this is a little tougher. Uh, you need to wash that before you throw it away. Oh. Huh. You need to wash that before you throw it away? Usually they say you need to wash that before you eat it. Not in this case. Uh, you need to wash that before you throw it away. That would be uh, when you uh, – Time's up. What? Any so, citizen of Portland or Seattle getting on your case about so washing true. your trash before you throw it away. That's so true. Okay. There are a couple left here. You need to get off your lazy bum and get a job. Oh, that – oh, boy. It's bringing me to tears, but that's mom. Mom said that. Oh. It's actually your kid. <laughs> really? Yeah. 
My kid said you need to get off your lazy what? Bum and get a job. Wow. Yeah. Very. My yeah. kid said that. He's got to talk to him. <laughs> and lastly, give me all your money. That's my wife. Actually, we'll accept that, but more likely it's your kids as well. Yeah. My kids know not to ask for money. Well, you did very well. What thank was my you, score? Thank you for playing Who Are You to Tell Me What to Do. And that's, that guy, Jordy, should learn that you don't, tell, you don't ask a judge that. Right. Exactly. We'll be playing the game regularly. Who are you to tell me what to do? Fun stuff, folks. Straight ahead, we're going to talk about how practice, a little practice, can make your brain better at focusing. Some innovative research. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, strengthen your brain and your attention span. Right here on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Can't sit still for two seconds? Looking for an outlet for all your fidgeting and are already tired of your fidget spinner? Well, then you've got to lay your fidgety hands on Fidget Fads, the new book that's jam-packed with flavor of the month time-wasting activities. There's a baby Susan, where you spin a baby on a lazy Susan. The Dignity, where you spin someone's toupee while it's on their head. The Digit Spinner, which is exactly what it sounds like. There's even a chapter on how to spin a story by Kellyanne Conway. Alternative facts. Not only does this book contain thousands of fidget spinning activities to choose from, but it also sheds light on various clinical fidget addictions. Fidget spillers can't help spilling things. And you might want to watch out for fidget spitters. Fidget fads. There's absolutely no science that supports this malarkey. When we have to learn new tasks or skills, it can be a tough process, right? You know, over time, with practice the, uh, on the task or the skill, it may become more natural. And a new study shows that paying attention can improve performance on a new task and, and possibly change the way the brain processes information. Joining us today is the lead researcher on that study, Sirawaj Ithapurapat. And uh, he is a Ph.D. student in the neurosciences program at the University of California, San Diego. And he's going to help us understand how just simply paying attention to something can actually improve your brain's uh, focusing abilities. Uh, Sirawash, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Good. Excellent. Good to have you on the show. So so talk to us about uh, the study that you did, Sirawash. What, was, what, was, uh, what, what, what were you after, and, and why is it such a, kind of a, an important study for all of us when it comes to our own brains and our own ability to focus? So, well, I guess everyone, you know, wants to know how to improve yourself, you know, in terms of what you do in everyday life, right? And we know that um, from research study, we know that attention could help us um, improve in terms of um, our behavioral performance in general in the tasks. So we have this question whether focusing attention could enhance your ability to um, discriminating something in our visual world, right? And we found that um, giving subject 
focus attention cue. So basically, giving an arrow to a subject to a certain location can help them improve their performance. And with training, um, they can improve it much faster. So this is just all we have to do, you're seeing, and how it impacts the brain, is if we can just focus our attention on something, like literally look at it, focus attention to it, or like you're saying, point an arrow to it, it does change how the brain lights up and pays it and, and actually responds to what we're focused on. Yes, and you have to know that, uh, I mean, in the environment, there would be many stimuli, right? And what might be important and one is not. So if you know what is important and what is not, attention can filter out those information that is not important at all. But what we're finding is that um, the selection mechanism in terms of, you know, attending to um, targets and visual scenes changed throughout the training. So, so explain, so ex- study, yeah, explain how you did it. Yeah, so in this study, we basically bring subjects in, you know, we got about like 20, 20 subjects participated. Actually, then we end up having 12 subjects that can actually uh, complete the experiment because uh, we brought in this subject for about 10 to 15 days to um, practice on this computer task where we give them attention cue and they have to um, discriminate um, just, you know, the, they just have to respond to light, the change in light, either it's dim, uh, dimming or it's getting brighter, stuff like that, and they have to discriminate um, those changes. And what we did is that we giving them a cue to um, the target that they have to discriminate. And we found that if we give the cue, they perform much better. And when we look at the EEG, so in these studies, like we also monitor their brain response using EEG, right? Yeah. So in that case, we can look at um, the response in the brain and how it changed with attention. And we can use modeling techniques to um, kind of um, figure out what kind of neural mechanisms that's supporting uh, the link between changes in brain data and behavior data. So what we found is that early in training, um, attention enhanced or increased the neural signals that responded to the attended stimuli. Interesting stuff. However, yeah. Through, yeah, however what's, surpri- what's surprising is that afterwards, um, throughout training, the attention signal that you see in the brain disappears. Why subjects still have uh, improvement in the task by that attention cue? So it makes us um, curious what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So what we did is that we used this modeling technique based on signal detection theory, and we figured out that early on in training, um, attention used this active mechanism that increased the gain of the neuronal responses in the visual cortex, which is like um, the cortex that processes visual information. However, later on, um, attention helps improving behavior by um, decreasing the noise or increasing the uh, tuning selectivity of um, those neurons. So let me get this straight. So So when you would, so you, you've actually learned then um, if you, if you, uh, 
can get the people to focus their attention on certain areas, they can actually tune out all of the other noise. And in tuning out all of the other noise, they um, they actually – their attention um, improved their ability to get this job done. Yes, but early on, they, in the brain, there is this active gain or increase in neuronal response, right? You kind of actively tend to something, something like that. But let's imagine if you're driving into the new city or something like, like that, right? Yeah. I mean, um, at the start, it would be very difficult to attend to a stimulus important to you. Um, and the brain is actively paying attention, basically. So you will see that increase in gain activity um, in those neurons. Um, however, after um, some amount of training, you will feel at ease, right? In driving the car or like in looking at um, signs and stuff like that. So somehow those brain responses disappear. So the gain response that we found earlier in training just disappear as the function of training. And it's somewhat like, you know, the brain going to like an autopilot mode or something like that. Mm-hmm. But when they go into autopilot oh. mode, do are we uh, – it seems like once I finally get used to a city, I quit missing all of the other – I quit focusing as much. You quit focusing – as much, but somehow the, your brain just gets used to attend, right? Yeah. You automatically, kind of like your brain automatically know what's important and what's not important. And you don't really have to use much energy to recruit, like, you know, um, those neurons to fire more. They yeah. Fire less, but you can still do the same job. So where do you think – where is this going into the future, Sirawash? How, how can we – how do you sense that we'll be able to use this, this research knowledge uh, to better our lives in the future? To better our lives, right? So actually right now I'm in Thailand. Uh, I'm a, a, a research fellow uh, at the Learning Institute in Thailand at King Mung University of Technology, um, Thonburi. So – here, like we're focusing on how we uh, would develop education, something like that. So I actually, um, <clears throat> I actually um, have a eye tracking project that monitor people' eye movements while they are looking at a video based um, learning, actually. And from what we know, um, that attention enhanced, you know, visual processing and stuff like that. We try to incorporate like social cue or something like that. Give, let's say, like giving animation that um, can um, face to different material on the screen. And then we're looking at the eye movements, you know, that's directed by the attention cue, basically. Hmm. And we're hoping to see um, people have the increase in memory based on those social cues. So this is somewhat direction that I'm taking right now. Um, but with learning, we still have to do more research on that. Yeah, I think. but how powerful this idea that eventually we can, um, boy, uh, the, yeah, that eventually you can focus people's attention, getting them to actually focus on the one or two things that they need to focus on, and by doing so, you're going to actually uh, enable them to 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 pick up. You know, more learning, more insight, more understanding. It's really amazing what's happening in our tech world because when you think about just the the, the little research that's now being done, one study like Sirawaj's uh, 
that's uh, making a difference in, in helping us at least recognize that aiding people in their ability to focus on the most essential part of a game or the most essential part of maybe a, a learning or a lesson and then actually noticing if they're paying the attention, how powerful could that be in redirecting our own learning to make sure that it's sinking in, that we're actually impacting our lives at such a deeper level. Sirawaj Ithapirapat, thank you so much for your great work there uh, from the University of California, San Diego. Now he's in Thailand doing further research, you know, doing what we can on the show to help you uh, get a leg up in life, really to live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. You know, on the show, we always have researchers like Sirawaj and um, that we had in the last segment. Uh, but the funny thing is, sometimes you wonder why they're researching what they research. But Terry, uh, in his quest for radio excellence, has tracked down always um, some research on why 12 reasons why we haven't identified alien life forms yet. Right. Or we haven't found. We them haven't yet. found them yet. Yeah. I mean, there's you would think if they existed. If there were people from other planets, we would have found them by now. I mean, now. in the movies, they find them all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think all you got to do is be in the movies or, like, True. fly on the USS Enterprise. Now, it hmm. says, in the 1950s, a learned lunchtime conversation set the stage for decades of astronomical exploration. From the 50s. Physicist guy. Enrico Fermini submitted to his colleagues around the table a couple of contentions summarized as one... The galaxy is very old, very large, with hundreds of billions of stars and likely even more habitable planets. Yeah. Which we're kind of finding yeah, some finding evidence of now. possibility so of that it's being, being true. proven true. Two, that means there should be more than enough time for advanced civilizations to develop and flourish across the galaxy. Right. Right? Well, it's been six it's been what, sixty something years since he said that. Right. So there should be plenty of time. So then it says, Where the heck are they? Yeah. Says so this is this simple yet. I don't power- appreciate that language. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Pretty aggressive. <laughs> Got all locker roomy on us. This simple yet powerful argument became known as the Fermi paradox, and it still boggles many sage minds today. Aliens mm. should be common, yet there are no convincing evidence that they exist. Right. So, so there's got to be some other assumptions. And then it says this. Here is twelve possible reasons. Okay. Good. One. Yeah. There aren't any aliens to find. Uh, duh. Duh. Like, they're not there. Wrong. So as unlikely as it seems in a galaxy with hundreds of billions of stars and as many as 40 billion Earth-sized planets and habitable zones, we could be all alone. Yeah. We're the only ones that broke through that barrier from water to land. That's so right. pompous of us. It kind of feels that way. It does. Uh, two, there is no intelligent life besides us. Duh. Wrong. Duh. This assumes, of course, that humans count as intelligence. Mm. Uh, life may exist, but it could simply take the form of minuscule microbes or right. other cosmically right. quiet algae. animals. Just yeah. a bunch of algae right. that Which never is, could walk out of the water. When we find life, when a science scientist actually discovers and confirms mm-hmm. life, it will be something like that. And we're all like, what? That's not life. Mm. You can't talk to that. Yeah. 
Totally. Three, intelligent species lack advanced technology. Maybe they can't they're communicate not, or reach right. us. They don't you're have old. an iPhone. They don't have a Steve Jobs. They just, you know, they're just a bunch of algae. Haven't you seen Independence Day? Yeah, you always go to the movies, but those not, that's not real life. Not real life. This Come is on. real life. He's that talking was, real that life. That was a real movie. He, Could, he's talking about the fromage uh, paradox. Fromage? Really? Fromage Currently, astronomers mm-hmm. use radio telescopes to listen intently to the night sky, but what if nobody's broadcasting any signals to listen to? Yeah, maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe they're not into broadcasting. Maybe they're introverts. <laughs> maybe they're a planet full of yeah. introverts without uh, radio technology. Intelligent life self-destructs. Oh. Says whether via weapons of mass destruction, planetary pollution, or malfactured, uh, manufactured diseases, it may be the nature of intelligent species to just commit suicide existing for only a short time before winking out of existence. Maybe they've Kim Jong-un'd. Maybe they did. Five, the universe is a deadly place. (gasps) Let's not talk about that. Yeah. So they may... All all it takes is an asteroid, supernova, gamma ray burst, solar flare. Any of those would harm life and maybe just eliminate it altogether. Can you go through that list one more time? One more time. All it takes, a single asteroid, supernova, gamma ray burst, or solar flare. See, so maybe it's more dangerous outside of our solar system. Could be. It's just not... There's just more problems. Uh, The sixth reason, they say, is space is big. The Milky That's Way. True. The Milky Way alone is one hundred thousand light years across, so it's conceivable that a that the focus signals of age, ancient or intelligent aliens are yeah. limited to the speed of light, so they haven't reached us. That seems more likely. It's just so big. We haven't. Yeah, and that's just well, that's just the Milky Way galaxy. We haven't been looking long enough. 80 years, that's the amount of time that radio telescopes, which allow us to detect alien signals, have been around. Yeah. We're new at this. So we're kind of maybe, you know, they're saying that, and we've been actively searching for aliens for maybe 60 of those years. Well, but, but, so, think, but think about what the technology was 30 years ago. Right. I mean, 30 years ago, we still had rabbit ears on this is our true. televisions. Right. Now I have an iPhone. Yeah. Why are, oh, we're playing Thanks this. to Steve Jobs. Um, we're not looking in the correct place. That could very easily be. We're I mean, looking. Yeah. How often have you not been able to find your kids because you're looking for them inside, but they're outside? So it says here, previously mentioned space is big. So there are tons of regions to listen to, uh, regions to listen to for alien signals. If we're not listening precisely in the direction from which the signal is originating, we'd never hear it. Andrew Fain explained in Universe Today, it's like trying to speak with your friend on a, oh my, I don't even know what number that is. Is it? 250 billion channel CB radio without any knowledge of the frequency you're trying to find. <laughs> We're, nine. We're looking for a space vehicle. <laughs> test one, test two. Over. Uh, nine, a- alien technology may be too advanced. And our radio technology doesn't work with whatever they're using, and so we don't communicate. That, maybe, the, yeah. Hmm. We always think that they're not up with us, but maybe they're like so ahead of us. They haven't been using – we're like using a brick phone. Like a Motorola brick, right. and they're using like the latest iPhone eight. Like in Independence Day, they came down and they 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 communicated mentally, and they mm. actually like that one doctor. Remember him? They took his body over and they used him as the spokesperson. Yeah, with the tentacles, they just <laughs> he wasn't tracking with you. Yeah, he's no, like, that was Brent Spiner. It's like what? Anytime what is he, he talking about? Easily. Brent Spiner, yeah. who also played Data on Star Spiner. Trek. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, it all again, comes full circle. Yeah, one way or another. What if they're, you know, t- tele... What is that? Uh, Teleporting. No. Tele- telepathic. There you go, telepathic. 
and then we're trying to talk with radios. That doesn't work. What if they're Teletubbies? It could be Teletubbies. Uh, number 10, nobody's transmitting. Instead of everyone maybe listening, maybe nobody's listening. Maybe they don't care. It's like a bad marriage. <laughs> everybody's transmitting, nobody's listening. But you know they're watching. Yeah. And then it Just says, without the sound. If aliens have radio telescopes similar to what we have here on Earth, our television radio broadcasts would only be detectable up to 0.3 light years away. Hmm. Right, and we're talking about we're talking about planets it's that we're finding that are like forty thousand light years, wasn't it? Across our galaxy, yeah, it's a hundred, yeah, hundred thousand light years. So, and we can only. <laughs> so we're wondering why nobody's picking up because we we're a third of a light year out. Yeah, they can't hear our signals. I guess what's there's another assumption here that people would want to talk to us. Like maybe we are the strange people. Maybe we're that. Maybe we're those people that nobody likes. Maybe we're like. Eh. Remember we had the woman on about the party planner? She 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 wrote a, a book and then she mentioned a, a Queen Elizabeth's party planner. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and they put all the weird people at the one table. Yeah, there's always the one table. Maybe we're the one table. Are we that one table? Are we the weird people at the table? We're the, we're the, the, the island of misfit toys. Hey, they just made a movie about that. It's called Table, table 19. 19. Yeah, it's a good movie. All the rejects are at one table at the wedding. Maybe we're at table 19 and all the cool people are up at table number one. I had very low expectations for that movie. Did you see it? I was pleasantly surprised, yeah. Lisa Kudrow's in it, isn't she? Yeah. You guys, amazingly, you just turned it into another movie. She was in a show called Friends, co-starring Matt LeBlanc, who was in the film version of Lost in Space. And now we're back to space again. Uh, and aliens. It I didn't all like comes that full journey. circle. Whether you that like was a it or weird not. journey for me. <laughs> so, uh, any other reasons? Finally, yeah. Earth is deliberately not being contacted. Yeah. If you remember, there is a prime directive in Star Trek where they don't interfere with the natural progression of a of a planet. They let them progress to the point where they can understand space travel and all this mm. stuff. They don't just go fly down there and go, hey, guess what? We have spaceships. Woo. Oh, interesting. That's a directive. It's a prime directive. It gets violated constantly in the show. Alliance. But prime directive. It's very important. Well, we, I think we've reached that point as an Earth where we're no longer progressing, it seems like. To space? Well, or just in general? I don't know. It just seems like in general. So it says on Earth we have policies about contacting indigenous peoples. It's possible that the same thing could be happening with us. Just like in Star Trek, advanced alien societies may enforce rules that limit contact only to species that attain a lofty degree of technological or cultural evolution. Hmm. So maybe we just don't impress them at all with what we've developed. Yeah, I, th- I, I think the best one is, yeah, we're planet, we're planet 19. Is that what it is? I'm we're just going to throw 19. this out there. Maybe they have already made contact, but we're not aware. Did you ever see Invasion of the Body Snatchers? And number 12, yes. aliens are already here. We just don't realize it. <gasps> oh, no. We okay. know that's true. All right. Now, if you ever see somebody throw their head back, point at you, and make this noise, wow. I would start running. I would start running, drop what you're doing, and just run as fast as you can. That was scary. Yeah. That's uh, gave me chills. <laughs> you should have. It's sad. This is radio because yeah. if they could have seen your face, they would have started running. You went the full you, character. There. You lean back and you your chin. You hid your chin in your Adam's apple. Thank you for saying chin and not chins. Yeah. By the way, because you've you, been working. You've on lost it. your chins. What do you think the possibility is? That aliens are here and government agencies are covering this up. 
just to keep the peace. Okay, let me – I think 100% likelihood that aliens are here because I feel like I've met some of them. Okay. Hmm. 0% chance the government has any idea. Really? Yeah. The big problem with the conspiracy is there's usually a lot of people involved – and yeah. every one of them has to keep the secret. Well, and, and one thing humans like to say yeah. is if I have something of information that you don't have, and it's very interesting, like, I don't know, <laughs> aliens are actually here. Right. Keeping that secret do you think, wouldn't be something honestly, that if President Trump yeah. got the file, the special file that has all the special secrets, mm. do you think there's any way in the world he'd be able to keep any of them? <laughs> No. Like what secret could well, he keep? I don't know if any president has access to all the secrets. They could get to them, but they no, first have to know file. they. Well, they have to know they exist. You but, have to know that these. What do you think? Secret files exist. To but what do you them. think? Maybe they're keeping them from Donald. That's what president I'm saying. Trump. Is they probably keep them from most presidents. But it seems like the first night he's like, "Bring me the files. What files? The special files with all the secrets about aliens." Oh. Don't you remember in the film Independence Day <laughs> when on, that guy you're turning when right that to a film. guy on Bill Bill Pullman's staff mm. tells him about Area 51 and Bill Pullman gets upset and says why wasn't I told about this place? Yeah. Well, first he's like, okay, Area 51, there's nothing there. And then his, his assistant guys, comes up and goes, um, sir. You guys, uh, I was actually, just that's not I, entirely accurate. And he sounds just hey, like Don Shaline, hey, by the way. Hey, I was Is just Don talking. an alien? That's who? I didn't want to say anything. Oh wow! Are we doing this? I didn't. I didn't want to go, go there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Restate. But yeah, Don Shaline's an alien. Whoa, man! Our boss is an alien, and apparently was abducted in the seventies hmm. while he was playing air flute <laughs> in a traveling band. He was abducted. Well, at a concert. We all have origin stories, and he apparently has. Had a few hours where he doesn't remember anything that happened. He just remembers a lot of loud noises and a lot of bright lights. Loss, okay. loss of time is a very key element that shows up in many abduction stories. So, yeah. That's but here's the test. Have you ever seen him go like this? Ah! Hmm. I, I'm not going to comment on that. Okay. Uh-oh. Don's. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Don's. <laughs> Don's. So there you go. Twelve reasons why we haven't found aliens. Um, and most of them have to do with the fact that we're probably not looking around. Uh, we have a special guest joining the show now. Don, are you there? Uh, this works. Hi, Don. How you doing? You, you weren't listening to the show, were you? Am I on the air? Yeah, you're on the air. I can't hear what you're saying, but all I know is this is my real voice. You're scaring us. This is my alien voice today. Uh, did you hear that hmm. Jeff made a comment about your about your? He made a comment about your alienship nature. Anyway, he can't hear us. He's coming in, which here. is one of the signs of being an alien. Don's coming in. Um, he doesn't hear with his ears. He has tentacles for that. Whoa! Look at those tentacles, Don. Did you hear that? Uh, we've Jeff's Jeff's exposed you. No, he hasn't. Terry did, right? Terry did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Terry did. No, enough of this movie is, talk after all. Is it true about <laughs> – did you want to talk about what happened to you in the 70s when you are playing air flute <laughs> and you were, you, you were abducted? Yeah, all I remember was I was up trying to be Jethro Tull. Next thing I know you, – You lost two hours of time. Yeah, I can't remember a thing about that time, but I came back. Those were the days, huh? With longer hair. Yeah, your hair was longer. I, re yeah. I remember seeing the video. Yeah. And um, and 
Yeah, you were always talking about the two hours you lost. Yeah. You know, that, uh, the alien part, Yeah, it actually does exist. Just want you to know. So, well, yeah, you've seen it firsthand. <laughs> so do, do, do you want to weigh in on this? Of the 12 potential reasons we haven't found alien life form, which one is the true one? Because you would know. Yeah, we're boring. We're totally boring. We bore the aliens too much. They are so bored with what we're doing down it's here. so true. Yeah. That's there it. Go. That's it. And Don would know because Don's actually – he's been on their big ship. Yep. So I'm, I'm signing off now. Don Shaline, also a friend of the aliens. Sometimes I wish I could lose two hours. Just oh. not remember them. Many say you do. Many say you do lose <laughs> two or three hours a day. Anyway, again, how often do you get a live uh, interview with somebody that's been abducted? And we brought our very own Don Shalina. And how weird is that that he's our boss, right? That's pretty cool. That's true. Gifts from heaven, folks. So we're already uh, in servitude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In servitude. Uh, Up next, we'll continue the journey, do a little wrap-up with some empty news. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, helping uh, everybody understand their alien nature right here on BYU Radio. Time to hit the empty news uh, segment with our empty news reporter and in-house anchor, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Jeffrey? So where is the most interesting place you've seen a car where maybe it doesn't belong? In a tree. In a tree, really? Yeah. How did that happen? After a flood. I don't think it was. It was one of the hurricanes. There was a tree, a car in a tree. Okay. Now let me ask you another question. Uh, How everybody comes across a driver or somebody in their car that ticks them off. How would you handle somebody that is blocking you with their car? And not letting me – I'm in my car? Yeah, nobody can get by because the car is in the way. Uh, is the person in the car? No. What am I driving? You're driving your VW. And I'm blocked? Yes. I'd tow him. I'd have him towed. Okay. I'd call a tow truck, have him towed. Well, this took place in eastern China. A blazing fight between security guards and a driver blocking a residential estate's entrance Mm. ended with her car being lifted by a crane onto a roof. (laughs) So uh, this – like I said, this happened in eastern China. Uh, This woman illegally parked for 38 hours and refused to pay a fine. So the security guards had the last laugh when their bosses hired a crane to pick up the car and put it on the roof of a building. They obviously had total confidence in the strength of their own building's roof. The scene caused a stir among residents who began taking selfies and photographs of the marooned car as the (laughs) incident went viral on Chinese social media. That's amazing. Chinese media reported the female driver and a representative of the residential community were both asked to visit a local police station to settle the dispute. Several hours later, another crane turned up and removed the car from the roof. It's a great shot. Uh, we'll put it on our, our Twitter page. It's just like at the entrance of the uh, – it's at the entrance of the parking lot. And I guess it's a message to everyone, don't block our parking lot. See, I think most people would sympathize with the security guards. Oh, yeah. 
because on some of our darker days, we all dream about doing stuff no, like I, this. I would like when you were asking me that. I if I had a big truck, I'd just drive right over the car. Oh yeah, like a monster truck. Monster truck, just drive right over it, hmm. crash it, destroy it. Then you know, what does it say about us that we daydream about these types of things? That we're dangerous, you know, potential felons. Hmm. But full of love and a good laugh. <laughs> That's the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio.